This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Four minutes past four. It's Thursday. Yes, yesterday went fine, thank you for asking. And I'm hoping today, just in case. In fact, actually, it's all looking quite good at the moment. It doesn't hurt when I... Oh, it hurts a little bit when I do that. So it hurts... Yeah, it hurts a bit when I do that. Don't do that one either. Judy Finnegan's joining Loose Women. Now, I, I swear that it was only a short while ago that Judy said, that's it, I've quit television, I don't want to do it ever again, and I'm quite happy in retirement writing books. And that's what I thought. I'm, I'm sure... I spoke to Richard Madeley about this, and I'm sure Richard said it. Judy's quite happy doing that. And then, lo and behold, they've announced she's coming back to Loose Women. She's 66. Now, I don't know what the reason of this is. Perhaps it's to halt the slide in the figures. Martin Brazell has not halted the slide up until now. Bringing back the older presenter could be it. And uh, what did we do uh, yesterday? Well, yesterday... You remember the day before yesterday was a complete disaster when we had interviews and nothing really worked out at all. And I went home thinking, oh, I just give up now, Stephen. It's, you do get days, and luckily they're not very often, about one a year, but it's enough to kind of throw you out a little bit. And so we should have had two interviews on one day. We ended up with 13 and a half minutes of Smokey Robinson, which was 13 and a half great minutes, but it's not quite long enough. So yesterday, uh, we had Charlie Higson in from The Far Show. He's got uh, book six in his uh, run-through of The Enemy. And there's one more book to come. Uh, he also wrote a series called Young Bond. He was asked by the Ian Fleming estate to do that. And then we had Sir Roger Moore in yesterday. Oh, oh, charming, charming. As he walked through, we, as we took him through to the uh, the studio, uh, everybody turned round and they were all going, is it Roger Moore? And I'm going, yes, it's Roger Moore. <laughs> and everybody's really excited. It's funny, isn't it? Whenever he goes out and he's 86, he's 86, he is... Charm personified. You wouldn't find a nicer man. He's got a book out of anecdotes about people in Hollywood. Some he likes, uh, some he's, he's not. Oh, wait, I need to put that bit in, don't I, on the computer. He's, um, he's, uh, he's, he's quite cruel about some people. But it's, it's very much tongue-in-cheek, and as most of them are dead, it's OK. So we're all right with that. Um, he's, in fact, he was, we spent a lot of time talking about his, uh, his health. He's not bad. He's diabetic now. And so, of course, we were able to have a good chat about diabetes. And, in fact, diabetes makes the papers again today. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a second, because it's almost a Miss Marple kind of thing. So we had a lot of chat there. He's, he bruises left, right and centre, does Roger Moore. At one point, he said, let me show you. And he rolled his trouser leg up and pulled his socks down. And his, he's black and blue on his legs. Black and blue. Uh, at one point, he, he has a place in Monaco. He has a place in France. I think he has a place in London. I know he's going out tomorrow with uh, Sir Michael Caine. I think they're going out. For, it's either lunch or dinner. I was tempted to say Michael Caine listens to this programme when he was going off to the studio filming. But I thought I'd better not surprise him on that. We had a really good chat. And it was really nice. And every said to me, they always ask me afterwards, you know, when you talk to these, uh, these celebrities, they say, um, what were they like? What were they like? And I said, he was charming. A terrible flirt. Uh, charming, witty, bit rude, bit naughty. But I love that. I like that, that twinkle in the eye kind of thing. And uh, he, he does. St- I, I'm not going to spoil the interview because it runs this weekend, but you'll have to hear it and then you'll know exactly where we were coming from. So it's going to be Charlie Higson. 
and Sir Roger Moore this weekend for In Conversation. Today, I've got Michael Palin coming in, which I'm very much looking forward to. He's got his diaries out from, I think, 1988 to 93 or something. I mean, it's, seriously, the book is the size of the Gettysburg Address. I've never seen anything like it. It's absolutely enormous. So we'll have a chat to him later on today, and then next week we've got all sorts of people coming in. So it's it's busy, busy, busy. But I quite like it like that. I don't like it when it gets stressful, and I don't like it when interviews don't kind of fall into place. Because if you're working to timings, and we have to, with this, this building is so huge. I mean, I haven't counted up how many studios we have in here, but I'm thinking on this floor we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. We've got seven studios on this floor, eight studios on this floor and then the floor above there's one two three four five there's about eight there and then you keep going on and so all in all oh, and there's oh, i've got those two underneath us as well um so all in all in this building there must be something like 30 studios all full of people all full of people and so during the daytime when the building fills up and there's about 700 of us in here i mean you can't believe it. Even I can't believe it. I sometimes come in here, and I was going to show a, a friend of mine round a couple of weekends ago, but as you know, it didn't didn't come off because she didn't feel very well. So anyway, and she said, I'm dying to see where you work. I said, well, it's, it's really impressive. It's really, really impressive. You can't just, unfortunately, just turn up and people give you the guided tour of it because for security reasons and stuff like that, we, we can't do it. So... I was I was sort of pinching myself the other day looking at it, and all the people on each floor, I know people on every floor, because you do, because we're all in the same building, and most of them listen to this programme on their way in. In fact, we pulled up in Richmond, because the, the cab driver sort of decided to take us on the scenic route, um, and so we get to Richmond, and there's a bloke, and he's, uh, he's sort of throwing all the rubbish bags into the back of this wire cage on wheels. What's he listening to? LBC. I could hear it through the car window. I could hear Nick Abbott. And then I was listening to Nick Abbott earlier on, and I just climbed into the shower, sat myself down, because I've got a seat in the shower. Nick, that's why he expressed surprise, Nick Abbott, that I've got a seat in the shower. Whereas I think it's perfectly normal at my age, 39 and three quarters. It's OK, you want to sit in the shower. It's nice and comfort. What's the point of standing up? Who wants to waste energy standing up in the shower and then, you know, soaking... His, oh, God, there is the danger, if you stand up, that you could fall over. And at my age, I don't like to fall. I'm bruised enough as it is, thank you very much indeed. And so I was sitting down in the shower and I was sort of uh, debating which shower gel to use. Because I have a choice of one, eight shower gels in the bathroom. I've got six Penhaligans, I've got one Boss and one Jo Malone Lime Basil and Mandarin. Because if there's one thing I like, it's a decent shower gel. I'm a bit funny about my shower. So when I go away on holiday, very rarely, as you've probably heard, um, in fact, I think Sam, my, my former producer, said he'd worked out that since I'd worked with him, I'd had six days holiday. I just don't do holiday. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not, I'm not sort of interested. What do you do on holiday? You swim. I don't really swim. You sunbathe. I'm not a sunbathing person. Um, you go sightseeing. Oh, I'm not really bothered. I'll buy a DVD if I want to do stuff like that. And, and that's about it. I mean, holidays just don't, and You spend ages going through the airport. You spend ages getting there. You're crammed onto a plane with a lot of people you don't even know and you don't want to know. And you certainly, by the time you've had the flight, you know, you, gotta, you can't wait to see the back of them, can you, really? And so I was sort of thinking about sort of holidays. Anyway, so I, and, and I'm listening to Nick Abbott in the shower. And on comes, I'm sort of halfway through a conversation. And I didn't quite know whether or not this, this bloke was taking the mickey or whether he'd not been outside his house since the late 1800s. I mean, he was talking about... I'm, I'm getting the gist of it. It was something to do with power steering on cars. And I remember thinking, he's either really old or he's on medication. 
and he was on about, he didn't see what point power steering was. And I'm sitting, I'm sort of sitting there thinking, and you know when somebody says something and you think, they've either said something that is so ludicrously stupid that, that you have to sort of listen, you think, oh, I don't know, where would you go with that? And, and I remember thinking, in my car, if it didn't have power steering, I couldn't turn the wheel. I promise you, I could not turn the wheel. It's two and a half tonnes, my car. You just can't turn the wheel in it. And I remember on a previous motor vehicle that I... Motor vehicle? Previous motor vehicle that I had, um, the power steering did go. There was a leak in the power steering reservoir. And all of a sudden, I couldn't... I mean, you would need the strength of Job to turn the, the wheel in my car. It just doesn't... Little cars, it's not so bad. And then he started going on about, oh, people don't don't check their tyre pressure and their oil. And I'm thinking, you quite clearly haven't been in a car for years. Even little cheapo cars now have have the... Indi- you don't need to check the oil. When you, when you pull into a garage, at one time, the man would come out, the mist would be rising off the petrol pumps, and he'd go, yes, sir. And you'd go, I'll have two gallons, please. And he'd turn a dial at the side of the pump, put it in there, and say, check your oil for you, sir. And you go, yeah, you can check, check the oil. You want to do the tyres as well. And they would do the whole thing in the garage. Well, that hasn't happened for ages. You won't get anybody coming out from the office where they service the pumps now. You pull up, you take the pump out. He looks at you, decides whether you're going to do a drive-off or not. And then he pushes the button and then it dispenses the petrol. You walk in. They don't come out and check your oil or wipe your windscreen. You do that for yourself. That's, I mean, that died out about 40 years ago. And every single car now has got... Um, well, most of them. I mean, we've always had something on the car that sort of says if your oil is going a bit low. You d- I can remember years and years ago, on the car you had the little ignition light which turned on red and then you started the car and then it went out. And then on the left-hand side would be a little thing that, I forget what colour that was, and that meant the oil was running low. So you pulled into the garage and you pulled the dipstick out and you wiped it on the paper then you put it back in again and you went, oh, well, I'll have a pint of duck's oil or whatever it was called, Castrol GTX or something like that. Well, you don't do that now. The oil lasts between oil changes. Unless you've got an oil leak. In which case, it will show up on my dashboard. I've got an onboard computer. Like, surprisingly, most cars have. A friend of mine has even got all the tyre pressures that come up. So if the tyre pressure drops, it shows him on his dashboard. You don't need to go and check your tyres. And this bloke was saying about people who are going around sort of driving on half-flat tyres. I thought, you haven't been outside your front door, have you? And I've, I felt like saying, prohibition's finished now and the war's over. Because it was just miles out of date. Nobody pulls into a garage and checks their oil. You just don't, because it comes in between services. I mean, I have my car serviced probably... I have one and a half services a year. One, one service which will be check everything, and one will just be a little winter service. So probably before winter gets here, I'll just whiz it in there, and, uh, and they'll give it the little winter service, so it, it ticks it over winter. Because very rarely do things... Well, <laughs> very rarely do things go wrong. Unfortunately, I think I'm tempting fate on this one. And uh, and so when I was listening to him talk about, you know, checking your oil, checking your tyre pressures, I thought... And then, then anybody's going on about the, um, the uh, turning the wheel of the car for power steering. I mean, little cars now have got everything. They've even got air conditioning. At one time, the air conditioning was, let's open all the windows. Cars used to boil over. You don't see that happening so often now. They're building, you know, good cheap cars, which it all goes in there. They've all got on-built computers. They've all got the sat-nav built in. I mean, I've got sat-nav built into my car. Most people have got it. In fact, I don't know if they make a car now that doesn't come with sat-nav. I think they're all... <clears throat> they've all got computers. They've got TVs in the back. Everything. It's got everything. It's come down in price so much, so it's, it's well worth having all this stuff. But, I mean, I do check my tyres my only because... 
I run a very heavy car. And uh, I look at them and I think, yeah, I'll go and check them. So I, I nip in and go, and go and get the tyres. I can do it myself, actually. I can do that. But I wouldn't know where the oil was. No idea, because mine's a sealed engine, so I'm assuming it's, it's hidden under there somewhere. It's not up to me. If ever I think I need oil, which I don't, because nothing comes up on the dashboard. Although, you see, I do have something on mine, and twice it's come up now. On my petrol cap, it's a seal. And because the whole car is all connected to the computer, if, and I only discovered it about uh, five years ago, if I do not turn the petrol cap three times, it doesn't form a proper seal. And up comes check engine. It flashes up on the dashboard, flashes to me, check engine. And you think, oh, the first time it happened, I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? And he got back and he went, you haven't done the petrol cap up properly. You've got to do it three times. So it makes this clicking noise. You go click, 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 three times, and uh, and it's all fine. But uh, you don't need to worry about things. Pulling into a filling station, checking your oil. (laughs) That's a long-forgotten phrase, that is. It's like, so here comes the bus. You know, although I did get on the bus yesterday after my two interviews. And the uh, the bus driver said, uh, hi, Steve. I went, hello. I get a lot of bus drivers that listen to this programme. Not surprised, actually. It's the most boring job in the world, isn't it? Driving, looking at... You know, to be honest, I would actually be looking at people at bus stops going, I have not seen you. And I'd just be driving straight past them. What are they going to do about it? What are they going to do? 17 minutes past four. This is LBC. Morning, every 18 minutes past four is the time. I wish I didn't have to tell you that. I wish I didn't have to say to you it's 18. You don't want to be reminded it's 18 minutes past four, do you? Pfft, who cares? Who cares? It's uh, called Clegg today. Now, there's two things you can call him about. Firstly, uh, the fact that he came out and spoke about that uh, poor little boy with his parents who were in prison, uh, I think is a direct result of me mentioning it on the programme because I know that his driver listens to this programme. So he's up very early in the morning. I, I bump into loads of people who drive politicians. They say, listen to you every morning. They do, they do hear the programme. And so I did say that I think Mr Clegg should, should say something and then David Cameron should say something. And lo and behold, that day they did. So you can talk to him about that. Also the fact, and I don't think, I'm really not sure in my heart of hearts whether I think it's right. They've named the Englishman who is also being held hostage. Now, yesterday we didn't name him and I'm not going to name him today on the programme. I just don't think it's right, because he's also been threatened with execution. Whether he knows he's been threatened with execution, I don't know. And I think his family are probably going through enough hell as it is, without being reminded on the front pages of a few of the papers this morning, that their father, brother, family member, friend, cousin, doesn't matter who it is, uh, knows that he's out there and he could be facing this as well. And I don't want to see somebody else in an orange suit facing beheading, so I'm not going to mention his name. Chris Blackhurst is going to be looking at the papers this morning with Nick Ferrari. Uh, The latest from Wales as the world leaders descend on Newport, but what will it achieve? And is the head of Ofsted right? Should we find bad parents? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mentioned uh, diabetes because uh, Sir Roger Moore is a diabetic. So we we talked about talked about a lot of illnesses and things like that. And the only reason I mention uh, diabetes is because there's a girl in the paper today who's dead. And the reason she's dead is her boyfriend is a diabetic. He injects, he takes insulin. I take insulin. I carry insulin with me. Now, if you are a non-diabetic, insulin is a killer. She thought she could use it. I don't know whether she'd read it on the internet or whether somebody had said to her, oh, you can use it as a diet aid. You can't. Um, it's not, it's not there for that at all. And so she injected herself with insulin and it killed her. 
because insulin is made for diabetics. I mean, there is an injection you can get, not to help you lose weight, but to work as an appetite suppressant, which I've taken uh, before. I've not taken it for a little while, but I do carry it with me. And, uh, and that, I keep thinking every morning, perhaps I should start doing this again. So I did it for a while, and then all of a sudden I became a bit immune to it, and it wasn't doing what I thought it should be doing. So I'm going to, I should probably do it today, actually. I don't want to do it just yet, because I'm wearing a, a white shirt, and I don't want sort of blood to leak through. But uh, she killed herself because she thought this was a way of losing weight, which it isn't. If you're a non-diabetic and somebody injects you with insulin, it can kill you. And uh, it's not very pleasant. It's not very pleasant at all. So she's in the papers for today. Uh, 84850, uh, There's also a mum who's knocked herself unconscious during the ice bucket challenge. And I must tell you a little, I must tell you a little story, telling tales out of school. And it's all to do with riders. Do you know what a rider is? You know, if you have a celebrity who is doing a concert like Elton John, he will have a rider that goes out to the venue and the venue will say, it's, I mean, this isn't correct. I've just made this bit up, OK, just in case, you know, you think oh, this is what Elton John wants. Uh, you know, he, he wants M&Ms, but no blue ones. Or he wants M&Ms, only the green ones and all that kind of thing. So most pop stars will have a thing that comes in from the management and it will say this, they, they require six. Fi- I mean, I did see one. I won't tell you who it was for, but it was for... Uh, one of these um, sound and look-alike groups who go out there uh, doing the circuit, which Noreen loves going to see, and I, lo- I love them as well. But they had a rider about fluffy towels. They had to have fluffy towels. They had to have, I think it was six large fluffy towels in their dressing room, and they had to have this anyway. So yesterday, I'm going to get in so much trouble for telling you this, we had Kim Kardashian in and a load of other people. And they came with an entourage of about seven people. And it was all, it was all a bit sort of military. And they came and it was all fine. But they had a rider. They wanted specifically, I think, some hummus. And they wanted this specific bottled water. So dutifully, being a good company and being very nice to people, they, they got the bottled, special bottled water in for the Kardashians. Special hummus and all the rest of it. They touched nothing. Nothing at all. And you think to yourself, do people just do it just to go, um, we can. We can do that. I mean, I near, I should have a rider on this programme. I think I should have a rider <laughs> saying what? I don't know. What should, perhaps Nurofen should be available freely to the Steve Allen programme. Or failing that, I don't know. I, always, I, I quite like the idea of having sort of a chef. I like the idea. Do you know, imagine how nice it would be if you had a chef. So every day he went, right, I've prepared your lunch for you. And you go, oh, what have we got today? And he says, we've got this and this. Because that way it would be easier. Because all the stuff I'm showing, what did I have when I get home yesterday? Oh, yeah, I saw, I looked in the fridge, you know, Prosecco, Prosecco, vodka, vodka, Prosecco, good, OK. And a little bit of milk. And then I thought, chicken Kiev, no, because I had that the day before, and that was quite nice. And so I had the usual thing, Uncle Ben's rice, some cooked chicken, which is cut up into pieces, into, like, sort of chunks, and uh, some Uncle Ben's sweet and sour sauce on the top. Well, actually, it was it was a, a soy sauce thing. It comes in a little little sort of packet. And when I emptied it out, it was just the sauce. There was no bits of pineapple or anything like that. I was a bit disappointed, really. I like the Uncle Ben one that's got bits of peppers in and, and stuff like that. And so I had that, and that was quite nice. That was actually quite easy. I just put it in a, in a steamer, and then it happily cooks away for a few minutes, and then you take it out, it's like, so hot, so hot, but good fun, good fun. So I did that yesterday, and then I started to read the Michael Palin book, and I thought, do you know, to be honest with you, I'd be 95 if I read this book all the way through. So uh, you'll, wait and have, you'll have to wait and see how the interview is, uh, is going to go. In the papers today as well, 
The uh, the new Benefit Street programme hasn't started airing, but already the uh, the hopeless cases on it have uh, have tried to hire showbiz agents. Well, they haven't. What they've done is they, they've approached that one who's got White D. Um, and I'd love to see his track record. I'd like to see who he actually had before White D. I can't wait to see, because I reckon he's just a little local bloke who hasn't got the faintest idea. But he reckons that White D is going to be a millionaire. <laughs> Think again, pal. Think again. No chance. No chance. What did I watch on... Oh, I did watch... Um... Oh, it's going to grieve me to tell you this, because I, d- I don't like to, but um, I was watching a little bit of Big Brother last night. I woke up a bit early. And so I started watching a bit of Big Brother, and uh, Frank Maloney's on there in his wig, so he's Kelly Maloney when he's got the wig on. And, you know, I was looking at him thinking, and, you know, this, it's a very odd thought, this, because this isn't, you know, he didn't have any makeup on, so it just looks like Frank Maloney with a wig on. And I'm thinking, this isn't some publicity stunt, is it? Because the wig was looking tacky. He was, he was walking around like he was, like, talking like that, you know? And I'm thinking... Is he really going to have a sex change? Is he really going to go through this? Because I wasn't sure if it was a joke or not. And you know the one thing he does which really, really annoys me? He eats with his mouth open. And I cannot bear that. That is like the scummiest of the... Who wants to see what you're eating in your mouth? And he's walking around, he's kind of talking like this, with this funny little tatty wig perched on his head. And I'm thinking, he's, if he is actually wanting to... Why has he not put makeup on? He appears to have made no effort to be a woman in the house, apart from when it's an eviction, when he sticks some lippy on. And I was thinking, it's not some joke, is it, this? I mean, I wouldn't... It's not a publicity stunt, is it? I just thought it seemed a bit strange that, you know, if you want to live as a woman, then you then you sort of you, you put your makeup on and you'd be spending a lot of time doing it, but he didn't seem to spend any time at all. He just obviously wakes up in the morning, shoves this dead rat on his head and then calls himself Kelly. White D is getting fatter by the minute. She's a waste of space, isn't she, completely? But I'm more intrigued, the fact that Judy Finnegan is back on daytime television. She signed a new deal with ITV, despite vowing she'd never return to broadcasting. So uh, the 19th series begins on Monday. Other big names... Other big names... Other big names... This is their idea of big names. For this read, very old people. Penny Lancaster. Wife of uh, Rod Stewart. Gloria Honeyford and Sharon Osbourne. Now, I've never met Sharon Osbourne, but they're going to be fighting with Gloria Honeyford as to who gets airspace on this one. They're absolutely... And Judy Finnegan's going to get pushed to the back. I'm telling you now, she's going to get pushed to the back because you... Gloria Honeyford is well-versed in making sure that everybody listens to her. She's, she's got a little trick. It's a little trick, and... I, I pointed it out to James O'Brien. If you're sitting next to Gloria Honeyford on a show, when she used to do the Alan Titchmarsh show, she would sit there with somebody. If she wanted you to stop talking, she had a very simple trick. She put her hand on your arm, and that has the effect of making you stop talking. And immediately she goes, that's it. And I think she'll do it on Loose Women. Now, whether or not the director of the show will say, no, Gloria, for, because, let somebody else come in. With Sharon Osbourne on there as well... So they, they've hung on to people like Andrea McLean, <laughs> Ruth Langsford. I mean, she's going to be out of her depth. Ruth Langsford is... If she's on the panel with Gloria Honeyford, she's going to be so out of her depth because she might be, you know, with Eamon Holmes, but these people have worked on television a lot longer than her and they're, they're well used to dealing with people like that. Colleen Nolan. Well, I mean, what a waste of space. 
What, what's, the, what's she on there for? Is she some novel? She can't hold her own with any of these people. And Janet Street Porter, I mean, she must be nearing death, mustn't she? How old's Janet Street Porter now? Well, Marco. So it's going to be quite interesting, but I'm more intrigued to, to discover that Judy Finnegan's going back. She said, I know I said I wouldn't go back, but I'm looking forward to some lively conversation. She's obviously saying the spark has gone out of their marriage at home and there's no conversation anymore. Richard, mind you, I've just worked out why. I've worked out why. Cast your mind back about a week and a half, two weeks ago, when Richard Madeley said that they were still at it like rabbits. Do you remember? He was talking about their sex life. Perhaps she's had enough. Perhaps she's decided that she... Because every time he comes home, he goes, Hello, darling. She's going, I've got a headache. You know, do you think he's going, I'm up here in the bedroom. And she's going, I'm just going out to do some shopping. You know, she might be a bit frightened by it. So, you know, in other words, oh, look, Loose Women have called. Nice Martin Frizzell has called us, and I'm, I'm going back on to Loose Women. <laughs> Would be so funny, isn't it? Because having said she doesn't want to do it, I don't know why she's gone back to it. Unless they need the money. They might need the money, I don't know. I don't know how much money they made when they did, uh, when they did the Richard and Judy show. I don't know if that made a lot. I mean, I really don't know. I've been quite honest. I've got no idea at all. So she's joining Loose Women. Now, Judy Finnegan is actually quite a quiet person. She's never been a pushy interviewer. She's never been, you know, pushing herself forward. I mean, Richard used to walk all over her, literally. And uh, she never got a word in edgeways. People used to shout at the television, let her speak. So you can imagine with with Gloria Honeyford and with Sharon Osbourne, it's going to be a nightmare for her. A nightmare. Oh, dear. Well, anyway, it's, I don't think it's going to halt the slide in the ratings. I really don't. Martin Brazell says, I'm delighted that we've been able to confirm more of Britain's best love, successful, assertive, and let's face it, downright smart women to join our team. Old, I think, would be the word you missed out there, Martin. Old people. Quick time check. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 25 minutes to uh, five. Very nice indeed. It's uh, Thursday. I came in this morning, I said to Imran, I said, is it Friday yet? He went, no, it's Thursday. I said, well, don't worry, Friday's, Friday's. And we've got loads of interviews lined up uh, next week for In Conversation. So this week it's going to be Sir Roger Moore, which I'm very much looking forward to hearing again. Because when you do an interview, and uh, I can't remember what I ask people. It wasn't until the producer phoned me yesterday. She said, I'm just laughing whilst I'm editing it. I thought, well, that's always a good sign. If she laughs, mind you, she drinks. Um, if, uh, if she laughs while she's editing the programme, can't be too bad, can it? Here in London, uh, we do laugh a lot, but not when we go into pubs. You know why? It costs a small fortune. In London, we pay an extra 76p extra per pint of beer than anybody else in the country. Well, no kidding. No kidding, and the Pope's Catholic. Of course we pay extra in London. And the reason we pay extra is because they can get away with charging us extra. Because if you go out in town, I've never heard anybody going out to a pub, whether it's round here or in Covent Garden or anything else, and the barman says that's £13.60, and you go, £13.60? For what? Two pints of beer and a gin and tonic? Hello? Average price of a pint in London, £3.79. Seems a lot of money, doesn't it? It's nearly £4 a pint. Mind you, it's nothing compared to what it is in, in London clubs. And if people pay huge prices in London clubs, why shouldn't you pay a bit of money in a, in a, in a pub? You pay, although nowadays people don't stay in them, do they? They get their drink and they go and sit out. We always, go, we always do the same thing. We go, are there any tables free outside? Are there any, can we go and sit outside? Who wants to sit inside a pub? I don't want to sit inside a pub. I want to sit outside in a pub. Outside in a pub. Outside a pub. And, um, 
And I, I'm, I'm quite happy out there with a the table. I like watching people going by, having a few drinks. The more drinks you have, the funnier they all become. Um, have you seen Peter Andre's Iceland advert? No, no. We're not a fan of Peter Andre, I'm afraid. He's a bit of a... I noticed he didn't get invited to GQ Man of the Year. Mind you, we've got a great piece for the, uh, for the extra free podcast later on today. It was apparently Woman of the Year dinner. I said, what did I say to you the other day? I said, ladies and gentlemen, every night in London, there's another one of these naff things. You know, and they go, woman of the year, midget of the year will be coming up shortly. You know, serial sh- um, person who's been in the papers a lot. You know, <laughs> I did watch a, a thing the other day. I think it was half magic and half spoof programme. And I can't remember the name of the magician. And it must have been fairly old because it was a photo shoot with Blue. And I thought, I didn't even know Blue was still going. I mean, they're so old and they all have sort of dress up. And they had this thing whereby they were filming... It was all set up on a farm. They were doing a photo shoot and they all had to dress up as country gentlemen. So they stuck them all in this stuff, st- uh, sort of gear. You had Duncan, a bit of a pretty gay boy, and he's sort of got all his sort of gear on. He looks great. And they've got Simon Webb and they've got Lee Ryan and they've got Anthony Costa. They've got all these people there and they're all doing it. And then they move them from the farm to a hillside and they're reasonably close to the edge of this vertical drop. And they put some hay bales, and it's all it's all done quite well. It's it's an elaborate con, okay. And the con became apparent when they sat down. The person who was in on it was Simon Webb, and the magician who was running the show had to come over and offer them all drinks, but spill a drink onto Simon Webb, and then said to him, "Oh, and nobody suspected a thing. Uh, well, you better go to." Um, costume in this caravan. So behind where they were sitting on the hay bales was this caravan. <laughs> so he goes into the caravan with the magician and and then after about a minute they're having their pictures taken and then Duncan goes, what? Uh, the caravan is rolling away down the hill. Doesn't have to roll very far before it gets to the edge and it's rolling, 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 and then goes right over the edge of the cliff and smashes to pieces at the bottom. Lee Ryan is beside himself, such a drama queen, throws himself on the ground. No, no. Do you remember that one that Jeremy Beadle did years ago where they had a bloke who had a little red car, so they substituted his red car for an identical little red car, and this boat, uh, this, this bloke is, tr- is crossing a bit of a bit of river on the docks or something, in a little boat with somebody else. And as he's watching, he sees what he thinks is his red car by the side of this reservoir kind of thing. And the crane driver is reversing slowly, and he's pushing his car, and he's going... He's standing up there, no, 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 no. He's literally... He can't get any faster across the, um, across the water. And the crane driver inches his car off the edge of this reservoir kind of thing, and, of course, it crashes into the water. Well, this bloke's incandescent with rage. Incandescent. Of course, it's not his car, remember. It's just a, it's a car sprayed up to look like his car, but it's not. Well, he gets there, and the crane driver is, is, is part of the team, this Beatles about thing. And, uh, and he said, well, you shouldn't have parted there, should you, man? This bloke's going ballistic at him. Ballistic! Yo, that's my car. He said, well, I never saw it, mate. You shouldn't have parked it there in the first place. And he's being so nonchalant about it. But you can imagine, if you're absolutely going round the bend thinking, that's my car that's just gone into the drink, what am I going to do about it? 
and uh, and he um, he doesn't know what to do first. He he doesn't know whether to cry. Laugh, he doesn't know, and he's confronted by this crane driver who's just totally indifferent to his plight. Totally indifferent, and it, it was quite funny. You just think though, would it could it ever happen to me? And you always hope not. You don't want something like that to happen. Then, of course, Jeremy Beadle appears. He goes, no! It's all, yeah, oh, it was only old Jeremy Beadle, so it didn't really matter. Daz says, Duckham's motor oil, does that still exist? Just showing your age. I don't know. I haven't bought oil for ages. I have bought, um, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I bought oil. Because when it goes in for its service, they put the oil in. They, they drain the oil out and they put new oil in. And so the car goes tickety-boo all the time. I don't, I don't sort of worry about things like that. Never thought about it, actually. I did, in fact, I didn't think about it before. I just, uh, I just sort of used to go into the garage, and I said, I mean, I didn't understand what it all meant. Used to go 15-20 or, you know, 2-4 or something. I don't know what it was. I really had no idea. Really had no idea. Uh, 84850-steve-at-lbc.co.uk. Um... Plenty of old men on TV. Nobody is young forever, says Ray. What about the all, all the old women on Loose Women? Well, I mean, a combined age must be over 300. Is anybody interested? I mean, the, t- the trouble is the, the ratings are sliding on that programme. It's gone down since Martin Brazell's had it from about 700,000 to about 500,000. I mean, very shortly, it'll just be the cameramen there. They got rid of Joe Johns, who I think was one of the directors of the programme. I mean, she was with us for Five's Company. She knows what she's doing. I don't know why. It's always the way, though, whenever you get a new person that comes into a programme, they want to surround themselves with people they've worked with before. But Martin Frizzell had been out of television for ages. He must have watched Loose Women. He must have really... I mean, why they would think... And I'm, I'm not knocking these people in any way, shape or form, because I love Sharon Osbourne. I like Judy Finnegan. I like Gloria Honeyford. I'm just sort of thinking, is that, is that really what you think is the way forward? I don't know. Where's Angela Rippon? You know, if you're going to put people on there, then let's go for a certain age, people who are experienced... I, I just think, and I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm right. In fact, I guarantee I'm right. I'm never wrong. Try not to be wrong. And Judy Finnegan, when she was with Richard uh, on the programme, she was, she, he, he sort of pushed it forward. He was the one that led it. In the case of Loose Women, I think you're going to find she's going to be sitting there. You know, she's been off television for a long while. She was a bundle of nerves last time. I mean, you, you could watch her hand shaking from, you know, from about three or four miles away from the set. And so I don't know whether or not She's going to have an opinion on this programme. I mean, she said she likes lively conversation. Well, everybody likes a bit of lively conversation. Whether or not it works when you're... I mean, perhaps they won't put them all on together. That would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Because they're all going to be trying to push forward. And, and in the end, I think perhaps they'll get Ruth Langsford to anchor it. And I don't think she'll... She won't... These people are, are very, very savvy. Very, very savvy. Eight-for-eight-five-oh, <laughs> uh, Duppy's up early this morning. And, uh, and Joey as well. And Dale. <laughs> I love it, actually. Eight-for-eight-five-oh, And, um... And, and, and Mark says, I think it's a bit of a, a joke with Frank, Frank Baloney and that sort of strange wig. But I thought, if, he's, if he really wants to be a woman, why is he not spending time sitting... Because he doesn't get anything else to contribute to. He doesn't, you know, the others don't want to talk about boxing. They don't understand what it is anyway. Why does he not sit in the bedroom doing his makeup or getting makeup hints? That's why I'm, I'm not... If, it's only when I watched him, when he watched him eating with his mouth open, that kind of did it for me, I'm afraid. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too sure about that. Oh, Robbie Williams is back in the country. Good Lord, I thought I didn't even know he was still going. But apparently he is. 
because he's got uh, 2.2 million followers on, I'm assuming that must be Twitter or something like that, that um, he's... Oh, it's a tribute act. It's a tribute act to Robbie Williams. Oh, how funny. I love tribute acts, though. I really do. But uh, Dan... 24 says, I saw it on Facebook and thought it was just a picture of Robbie, and then I saw he was posing in front of this uh, this thing, Dan, and the bill that caught the star's eyes. It's bonkers. Dan is an impersonator of Robbie Williams. It doesn't look at all like Robbie Williams, but there again, most of them don't. When you look at them close up, over the road from here, we've got a Beatles show, and I'm assuming it's only because they're going to sound like the Beatles. They don't look like the Beatles. Although people used to say, didn't they, that you could watch these uh, these look-alike tribute bands. And some of them were really, really good. And some of them were sort of just a bit... Na- I love them. I love them. Can't get enough of things like that. It's quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. I have not seen Noreen, the tube clip of the guard dancing and messing about. Uh, she asks the question, is it genuine? I mean, to be honest with you, I thought they were... This is the, the guard who's at Buckingham Palace. The Queen wasn't there, and yet they still have the guard, and they still change the guard, and he sort of messes about a little bit. Now, whether it's genuine or not, I don't know. I've not seen it. I'd need to see it, first of all, because I thought they were so disciplined that they wouldn't do anything like that. The, these are trained, trained soldiers. I haven't seen the programme about the hotel in India. Very luxurious, very strict. Managers, housekeepers, chefs all being checked on, everything has to be a zillion percent perfect how the other half live. Yes, in India, of course, the the thing is that if you're running a hotel or if you're running any sort of facility where the public are going and they're paying good money, because there is so much choice of staff, you can afford to get the absolute best staff ever because they know that if they make a mistake, they're out. And the chance of finding a job, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people not working. It's desperate, you know, to get a job in a fabulous hotel is considered quite a coup. I watched a programme about the Hill Railways in India, and that was great. The guy who um, who literally used to get... He lived in what was practically a mud shanty hut, and he he was, I think, one of the guards or something on the railway, and he loved it. He at these, these trains are held together with sort of basically sticky tape, and they go up and down the mountains, and he was on there, but he was very proud of his job. The only thing he was worried about is the fact that he could, didn't have a wife... He couldn't find... I thought it was gay. And he couldn't find a, a wife at all. And his friends were going, we need to find you a wife. And he said, well, it's very difficult because I'm, you know, running this... He loved his job. He was, he was so good in it. And, and he was so proud of being part of the railway. And uh, it's a shame that not everybody feels the same way about their, their job. Uh, hope all the little ones starting school are going up to big school are OK and enjoy. Yeah, they're all rushing around getting last-minute school uniforms. I mean, they've known about this for weeks. And all of a sudden, dim parents are going out there going, oh, my God, we've got to get school uniform. Why don't you do it at the beginning? Why leave it till the, uh, till the last minute? It now means that all the trains are going to be absolutely solid, doesn't it, really? <laughs> uh, Karen says, uh, woman of the year just two weeks ago, nothing famous, no paparazzi were there. Just at my Slimming World group, I've lost three stones since January. There you go. I don't know. Why do, do, we don't have... Well, we do have Men of the Year, don't we? Do we have Men of the Year? Is that not sexist now? We have Woman of the Year, and they sort of... They nominate somebody. Perhaps it'll be Kelly Brook or something like that. I don't know. Can't think of any other reason why they have these these programmes. It's all very odd, isn't it, really? Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.com. Yes, Kim Kardashian got GQ's Woman of the Year. <laughs> Is she naked in a magazine? Oh, in GQ. Oh, well, that's why, you see, because it fuels the, 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 the 
the fire of, of celebrity. That's what it is. It's so she comes over here, she behaves like a celebrity. I mean, she came with an entourage of seven. I mean, she's only somebody off a reality show. I mean, couldn't she get the bus or something like that? Is she too grand for the bus? I always say that to people. Couldn't you get the bus? I've known people get the bus before. Big celebrities. I'll bet you anything. You know, there'll be a, there'll be a few people next week I'll be talking to, and they say, oh, I'm going to get the train in. I mean, I, I could have limos if I wanted them. I could have limos, but I, I choose not to. <laughs> Kelly Malone's daughter has given an interview to OK! magazine about her father's sex change advertised on TV today. Oh, God. They all drag themselves out of the woodwork, don't they? Oh, that must have been the quote we got yesterday, that Kelly's a better person than Frank Maloney. It's the fact that, that Kelly Maloney has made no effort to be a woman apart from shoving a wig. I mean, I could sit here with a wig on my head and, you know, call me Beverly or something. I don't know. I couldn't think of a name quick enough. As for White D, if she made a million pounds... Says Andrew, perhaps she could pay her benefits back. Talk about sight for sore eyes. My eyes are very sore. Oh, she's, she's gross, isn't she? I mean, I'm, I'm not remotely interested in anybody like her. Really not remotely interested. No, I'd like her to see in the... Pe- Funny how we haven't seen any depression from her at all. She's just a foul-mouthed, fat old bag, isn't she? Who was on a television programme. I don't see why we should have to sort of look up to her in any way, shape or form. Uh, September the 20th is the date that they've said, these jihadists, uh, for this person who is held over there. He's the only British person, as far as we know. Uh, the son asked the question, will the SS try to, SAS try to rescue him? Uh, your say on the action, uh, as the evil maniacs say, they will behead this man. Uh, you asked the question, stop droning on, Mr Cameron. Let's send in the drones. You know, they've got some stupid British girl uh, here called uh, Asa heading to Syria. An embarrassment to everybody. Um, she's quite clearly a bit bit, uh, bit, detached in the brain department. Her parents say they felt sorrow and shame over their daughter, who's called for other girls to go and join her. Stupid woman. It's always the ugly ones, isn't it? But uh, they say, we still love you, but now you have to put your family, your brother and sisters first as you've betrayed us. Well, she ain't going to be coming home any time soon, is she? She's not going to be coming home. She's apparently married somebody who's part of this, uh, this sort of group over there. They're a bit... They're just pathetic. They're just pathetic. They don't represent Muslims. They're nothing to do with Islam. They're doing their own little thing. They're quite clear. They've all got one or two screws loose. In fact, she's obviously got no screws in her head whatsoever. It's just empty vapour. But uh, if she seriously believes that, you know, executing people is the way forward over something that somebody else is doing, she's even more stupid than she looks. You know, it is, it is really embarrassing. Really. I mean, she, she believes, I think, that these jihadists are her new family. Whereas, in fact, they couldn't give a stuff about her. They couldn't care less. They just use her for a little bit of propaganda. It's just, it's just awful. Uh, streets ruled by the morals police. The son of investigated life under a brutal regime inside this Islamic state. Where you can't do anything. Uh, dissenters are crucified or beheaded. They say it's the richest terror group in the world. They're in uh, Syria. They're surrounded. What a, what a pathetic existence they have. I mean, it really is. Soldiers go on the march. Uh, goats and sheep uh, at livestock markets have to have their genitals covered. <laughs> Where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Thieves have their hands hacked off and opponents are publicly crucified or beheaded. Those caught outside the five daily prayer times are risking their necks. The, uh, the morals, please, are called the Hispar. They enforce strict Sharia law. And um, 
It's it's just pathetic. They they filmed young children saying they wanted to join IS and kill infidels. Infidels. Where are they coming from, honestly? You have to laugh at the patheticness of them, don't you, really? Uh, the the economy, militants made off with £256 million in cash uh, when they overran Iraq's second largest city. And it's all these people. I mean, they're just, you know, women are pushed around. They couldn't care about women at all. And uh, they're militants, and they sort of, they crucify people. So quite clearly, they've got a huge problem within themselves. They don't even know how to patrol it. I mean, they they seriously believe in their tiny, shell-pea-like brain that this is the way forward. Slightly slightly worrying, isn't it, really, when you think they're not even intelligent, are they? 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Other stories in the papers. The uh, Britain who's beated Ebola. Thanks to the drug and a Rogan Josh meal. Keep calm and carry on. Carry on. And this is uh, William Pooley. He recovered with bacon butties and curry. There you are. I've always said that about curry. I've always said curry's the way forward. It's like, it's for, you know, it's like chicken soup for the Jews. And, um, what, do, what is that I hear the other day? Oh, the latest Jewish joke. What's the difference between a Rottweiler and a Jewish mum? Eventually the Rottweiler lets go. That was on Loose Women. Not Loose Women. That was on, um... Who were those two girls who lived in Essex? What'll I do when I'm far away? That one there was Sharon and, uh, what's it? That's what they came for, with a lovely Jewish next-door neighbour. I thought it was quite a good one, actually. I listened to it and I thought, that's quite a good one. Jewish mums. I love Jewish mums. They're my favourites. And actually, I get on very well with Jewish mums, because everybody likes a bit of a gossip. And Jewish mums like a lot of gossip. A lot of gossip. Everybody goes, so tell me, you heard of anything here? Mm. I'm always the first one. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West left organisers of the GQ Men of the Year Awards panicked when they disappeared for five minutes, only to be found in the disabled toilets. I think we've droned on enough about the GQ Awards. I'm really not uh, not too bothered about that. Um, also, here's Benefit Street, orange dot in the paper. This is the son who was convicted of a, of a paedophile act against a young girl and had just come out of prison. No good to your grinning little face, dear, for us. This is uh, Kingston Road in Stockton-on-Tees, where the Channel 4 crew are filming. Gunshots were fired at a house. A family returned from holiday to discover two windows had been hit. Holiday? They're on benefits. How do they afford these things? I'll tell you, there's probably many of you listening at the moment working very hard, but these people do nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Sitting down, apparently, is bad for you. You're supposed to stand up. Uh, There's nothing good for you nowadays, is there? I was thinking the other day, everything has sort of been taken away from you. Cream cakes, fried food. Roger Moore was saying to me yesterday, my new best friend, he was saying about, you know, he said, now you're diabetic. He said, he said, what? He said, I can't eat anything. I've got this diabetic chocolate. He said, because he loves chocolate. He's a bit of a chocolateaholic. And I said, I said, don't have diabetic chocolate. It's, it's not, it's not great. Most people have dropped their ranges because it's like a laxative chocolate. You know, if you want to have chocolate and you're diabetic, have a bit of chocolate. Don't have loads of chocolate, but have a little bit. You can have all this stuff. You can have, you know, you can have little of everything. I remember the first year I was diagnosed, and I said, what do I eat for Christmas dinner? They went, exactly the same as normal, just have it in moderation. And it's, it's served me quite well since then. Having taken these other tablets, you remember I, I was taking ibuprofen to try and cure the bad back and the neck and all the rest of it. Well, having taken Vulparol... Uh, which is which is, is marvellous, absolutely marvellous. So I'm, I'm very much happy with that. And I took one last night, went to bed, and I did sleep a lot better because it was just a little bit agonising yesterday. Yesterday was like, oh, make it go away. You know when you sort of, you have one thing, you have the eye. And then I spoke to my friend Jason and uh, his, his girlfriend, 
Uh, she's had the eye thing as well. Everybody's getting these problems at the moment. I don't know, there's all these allergies floating through the air, aren't there? Ridiculous. Oh, look, Kelly Brooks again in the paper, doing what she does best. Posing. And uh, here she is with, um, with little David. This is Thicko David. You know, the one who was kicked out of the so-called celebrity Big Brother house because he was neither a celebrity nor anybody was interested in him. He made no contribution at all to it. And you, the great British public, went, nope, you're out. So they voted him out. He's failed to understand that he's, uh, he's just not liked. He's not liked at all. She'll end up finishing with him and then she'll go out with somebody else and we'll have to put up with it. Uh, the Mona Lisa should be sold to help France pay off its £1,600 billion national debt. I don't know what the Mona Lisa would be worth. I have no idea. No idea. They say that it could fetch around £1.5 billion. Good God, I mean, that would make it the most expensive picture in the entire world. Better start saving up if you want to buy it. £1.5 billion for the Mona Lisa. Mind you, there'll be somebody somewhere in the world who will have that money, and they'll go, just to own the Mona Lisa, you'd, I mean, you would, wouldn't it? Three in four women prefer to go out with a chubbier chap. wonder why that is, because they eat more. You know, they take up more room in the beds. They take up, you know, they take up a lot of room. Cara Delevingne in the papers, on her knees again in the gutter. Worse for wear. Poor soul. Uh, A mum has knocked herself unconscious during an ice bucket challenge. They found a treasure trove under a high street. I'll tell you about that one in a moment. And Cameron Diaz, the anger at the sex tape hackers. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. That and more is next. On This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's great, isn't it, really, when you think the British public have donated money for this little boy. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, actually, to the producer, I said, if... You know, worst happens, worst case scenario, and this poor little soul loses his uh, fight for life. The papers are going to be bidding for their story. They're absolutely going to be bidding for their story. And they would be foolish not because they've been put through the mill over this. I don't think any parent should ever have to to suffer with that kind of thing. Birds of a feather, incidentally, thank you, was, uh, was the programme which did the, the Jewish mother joke. Uh, Judy Finnegan's going to join Loose Women, having told us all categorically, that's it, I'm done with television. £100 if you park too near a school. And France selling off the Mona Lisa. It's only tentatively. One and a half billion, they've said, for the Mona Lisa. But there would be people in the world who are so rich that one and a half billion pounds to actually own the Mona Lisa. They'll never sell it. They'll never sell it. They'll never sell it. Uh, 84850. Uh, Mike says, you see in the mail... But uh, Christine, how are you obliquely to join this morning? Um, no, she's uh, she's one of a, a rota of people. The pers- person who's actually doing it is Amanda Holden. They're going to be using Christine Bleakley occasionally because it, she just doesn't fit it. I don't know which programme she fits into at the moment. I really don't know. They seem to be running out of programmes to try her out on. She doesn't really rate. She's a bit too smiley, smiley, Carol smiley on the television. And I don't think people want that. 
I'm intrigued about the loose women's story. I'm intrigued about the fact that Judy Finnegan has been persuaded to effectively come out of retirement. I thought she was writing books and I thought she was quite happy to be away from television, which she has been away for some time. Richard's done various things and he's done radio programmes and he's, he's written as well. But for some reason, and I can't quite put my finger on it, she's decided to go back to loose women. Out of all the programmes to go and do, she's going back to doing loose, loose women. I don't mean, if, if, uh, Martin Frizzell is going for older people. Why not Fern Britain? You know, older... Sorry, Fern, I do beg your pardon. It makes you sound awful, doesn't it? But, I mean, if, if, if he's going for the more mature person as opposed to the flippity-gibbets that they put on before, some of whom were very good. I mean, I'd have dropped Colleen Nolan ages ago, I'm afraid. I don't think she contributes anything to the panel. But, obviously, she's sort of... Uh, she just... Perhaps she thinks she's funny. I don't know. Uh, Ruth Langsford will probably anchor it, which I think she's probably better at than actually being a panellist. And uh, and also, that hair's just not moving now, is it? I've noticed. It must be like concrete, I would think. But uh, Gloria Honeyford on there, and Rachel Hunter, and Sharon Osbourne. See, Sharon Osbourne, I think that's an interesting... It's an interesting casting. Now, whether it works, I don't know. All they're doing is trying to actually uh, halt the slide in the audience figures. Now, I don't know why you have stopped... Uh, watching the programme, is it because, and I've heard people, I think, talking to Clive Bull over the years saying, oh, it's just a lot of women, you know, dissing men. I don't know whether or not it's, it's, it's lost its way or, or perhaps it's past its sell-by day. I've got no idea. I watch it occasionally. I do watch it occasionally because a lot of the guests that I get in for, in conversation are generally making their way on to do Loose Women because they have a couple of recordings. I wish Alan Titchmarsh's show was back. I really do. And Paul O'Grady. You know, I, I miss programmes like that. I think they were bringing back Mel and Sue, weren't they, to television, with another one of these lunchtime... Th- I wasn't that interested. They weren't, they weren't much cop last time round. I feel a bit sorry this morning for Rupert Grint, the Harry Potter star. He's in the papers today. He's, has a, he's had a very tough spell as a business wizard. His hotel and cafe lost nearly £200,000. He does, though, have a... Wait for this. This is Rupert Grint. I should have asked, actually. He has a property portfolio worth thirteen million. Blimey! Well, when you think that Daniel Radcliffe is worth about fifty-eight million pounds, and he doesn't stop working, Ru- Rupert Grint. I mean, um, it's not bad. Um, he he's set up a, a firm called Evil Plan. Oh, and, and, and the papers, incidentally, are being as cynical as I was yesterday when we had Gary Barlow who features on Smokey Robinson's new album, because he's a firm favourite with, with the government and with everybody else, and he's, uh, he's done a lot for charity. Charity's the big thing, isn't it, now? You know, Tony, Tony Blair gets uh, an award at the GQ Man of the Year Award thing for charity. And you think to yourself, it's just got a bit pear-shaped, doesn't it? And uh, then somebody said to David Cameron, do you not think you should strip that uh, medal that we gave Gary Barlow after his tax avoidance? And it went, no, 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 good, good lad, good lad. And so it obviously goes to prove, you know, friends in high places, you can just about get away with anything nowadays. But the good news is that they've now closed the, the legal loophole whereby people could put their money into these offshore companies, which could then file losses, which then means you could offset against tax. They've decided that's not happening ever again. And so Gary Barlow issued a statement the other day. He's finally come out and apologised. Up until then, he'd said diddly squat. He's got a new... A new uh, group of accountants who are looking at it, and he hopes to sort it out very, very soon. ASAP, I believe, were the letters that were used. And, oh, by the way, he's working on a new album for Take That. I mean, did you see the cynicism? 
cynicism in my voice then? He's working on a new album for Take That. That's the, that's the overshadowing thing, isn't it? Uh, we've got a new album coming out. And by the way, oh, the tax thing. You know, I'm sorry if anybody was offended by that. No, we're not offended by it. I'm just, uh, I'm just amazed that, you know, we held you in such high regard and you're exactly the same as everybody else. You don't want to pay tax. Nobody wants to pay tax. Ask anybody around here. Do you want to pay tax? No, I don't want to pay tax. But we have to, which is a shame. Diana says, watching television last night, I thought of you. I know. Uh, when the ads came on, there was old Peter Andrex in the new Iceland one, waxing lyrical over pizzas at 89p. Yeah. I feel a bit sorry for Peter Andre, honestly. 42, isn't he now? I mean, he's heading into his twilight years. <laughs> I've still never seen any of his concerts. As far as I know, I might be wrong. I would have to ask uh, Dawn about this. She'd probably know better than I would. Has he brought out any of his live shows on DVD? Are there any Peter... Can we go to... I need to go to Amazon, actually. Can I go to, to Amazon and find out if there's a Peter Andre DVD of any of his live shows? I feel duty-bound, ladies and gentlemen. If I'm going to be talking about somebody, I should really be sort of checking. Peter Andre, let's have a look. What have we got? Oh, oh no. Oh. Live in Veen. No, no, that's not Peter Andre. Oh, God. Peter Andre, just for you, live at Wembley. <gasps> VHS! VHS! Good God! And they're looking for £64. <laughs> Think again. Se- <laughs> oh, it's £4.75. You- yeah, but it's VHS! What am I going to do with a VHS? How funny. Isn't that, isn't that amazing that he hasn't got anything else? That's it, is it? I wonder why. My World in Pictures, that's a, that's a book. Revelation, Pete looking all mean and moody. He is 41, though, isn't he? 42. And then, oh, there's a book called Peter... And Katie, the inside story of their divorce. <laughs> How hilarious. The things they bring. Do you know, All About Us, My Story by Peter Andre. I don't know who's wearing more makeup, her or him. But there's no, there's no DVD. Oh, there, you can get a copy of A Whole New World. Remember that song, She Couldn't Sing for Toffee by Katie Price. Six pound and one penny they're looking for there. Oh, 21 offers on two pound 13. Or you can buy it used for a penny. The inside story of their breakup, Katie and Peter... Too much in love. <laughs> oh, look, you can get Peter... Oh, no! You can get Peter Andre personalised Christmas gift wrap. Oh, I want that. Oh, I so want that. Peter Andre personalised gift wrap. It says, make a Peter Andre fan's Christmas extra special with this personalised gift wrap. And you can personalise it with the recipient's name. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Look at that. £4.49. Gosh, it's got lots of pictures of Peter's you wrap your present. Mind you, I suppose if you're a Peter Andre fan. Are you, are you a Peter Andre fan, everybody? Are we a Peter Andre fan? I don't think we are. And I don't think we're going to admit it to anybody, because otherwise you'll be shunned by the neighbours. Dogs will sort of go yelping past your front door if they discover that you've had anything delivered with, with, with the words Peter Andre written on it. Poor soul. But isn't it funny? No Peter Andre DVD of any of his live shows. I'm told they're pants. I'm told they're pants. I mean, I only hear that from other people. I mean, I couldn't possibly comment because I've not seen them. And they never showed them when they used to... When they used to sort of show these things on the... Uh, on the... Uh, I've lost, lost my track because I was reading a, a thing here. Um, when they used to sort of show them on the television on when Pete had a little programme. <laughs> years ago, and uh, act due to lack of interest, because he never did anything. Pete goes out to meet his fans, you know, things like that. Yeah, hi, yeah, hi. And you think to yourself, it's it's a bit simple, isn't it, really? Loose women must have realised that their demographic are over 55. Oh, interesting, interesting. And, of course, I mean, you're quite right, Alan, people are turning off loose women. 
because they want Julia Hartley Brewer. I saw her the other day, actually. I waved. Hi! <laughs> we always have a little chat in the office. Generally about two or three words. We don't sort of say too much, because she's sort of coming in to start work, and I'm just generally sort of leaving after having done my interviews. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what else we got here? This is... Um, I like. I wonder what the gadget for Christmas is going to be this year. I tell you what the gadget for September is going to be. It's going to be the new iPhone. You're going to want the new iPhone. Spandau Ballet are back. I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea. With uh, John Keeble, Steve Norman, Tony Hadley, Martin Kemp, and Gary Kemp. I've done. Uh, I've done Gary Kemp, or have I done Martin? I can't remember which one I've done that. I think I've done them both at some point. I've certainly done Tony Hadley. I've never done Steve Norman or Ian Keeble. I don't think I have anyway. Uh, Martin Kemp says, back in those days, we lived on champagne and cocaine. And Gary Kemp has said, now our kids drink all the backstage booze. Seems funny, doesn't it? I remember the clothes, because they were new romantics. I think that was a bit, sort of, bit camp. It was all sort of flowy sort of things. But it was all, it was the Blitz kids, wasn't it? It was spawned from the Blitz kids and Steve Strange and everybody else. And you tend to forget they're getting a bit, uh, getting a bit older now. Will they go out on tour? Will they be doing all the hits? The answer is probably yes. And there's a film out, Soul Boys of the Western World, in UK cinemas from October the 3rd. And the story, the very best of Spandau Ballet, is released on October the 13th. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. All these groups coming back. I see it on the reunion programme, and I'm, I'm always fascinated. I mean, some of them I've never even heard of. Uh, they all seem to hate each other. Nobody seems to like each other at all. Poor old Kavanagh. I mean, obviously, he's got slight issues. You know, a man who just can't seem to work with anybody at all. You know, then he came out, and you're th- kind of thinking, bit of a waste of time there. And I suppose the next thing you'll see him on is another reality show, but uh, he doesn't seem to be in a particularly brilliant place at the moment. Let's have a quick uh, time check for you. 5.15, of course, being Thursday, it's Call Clegg. Lots to talk about uh, with Mr Clegg today. You can have uh, an opportunity to put your questions to him. Uh, no doubt, uh, Brett and uh, his wife, delighted at being reunited with, uh, with Asha, this, this little boy. Who, um, who might not live for very much longer. But either way, his parents, quite rightly, should be with him. And they are. Plus the hostage Brit, who when he went out to Syria to help, and now faces uh, death by beheading, because they've said he's the next one on the list. I don't know how many other people they've, uh, they've captured over there. I've got no idea. But they seem to be producing them on a regular basis, and it seems to be the same person who's carrying out the executions. His, uh, his time and his days, they say, no, the man known as Jihadi John... He's a dead man walking. They will, uh, if they really put their minds to it, I suppose they could actually take him out in between the uh, Americans and the SAS. Wouldn't be that difficult, would it, really? Uh, also with, uh, with Nick today, the latest from Wales as the world leaders descend on Newport. How they pick Newport, I've got no idea. Newport Mons. Uh, what will it achieve? And is the head of Ofsted right? Should we find bad parents? All of that and more with Nick Ferrari and the team at 7 o'clock this morning on LBC Chris Blackhurst, columnist and business editor for the Evening Standard and the Independent, will be going through the the papers. There's another girl just been jailed. This is where I like to see justice being done. This is a woman who blinded her friend in one eye. Her friend, mind you, her friend, uh, by stamping on her face in stilettos, has been jailed. Drunk Melissa Kauser, 21, pushed a trainee teacher, Sophie Robinson, to the ground and stamped on her face splitting her eyeball in two. The fight started during a row over a £20 cab fare. Melissa Kaus has been sent to prison, vile old bag that she is, for seven years. 
The judge now said two lives have been damaged. It was just drunk women. Well, we see people behaving badly on the television all the time, don't we? You don't have to look any further than... uh, than Celebrity Big Brother to see Lauren Goodyear being drunk on a regular basis. It's a pathetic example of, uh, of people on television behaving badly. But in the case of this girl, uh, alcohol got the better of her and uh, she's now in prison for seven years. Apparently her, her lawyer says uh, she expresses genuine remorse and regret. Good, we've got seven years to think about it. I just hope it means seven years. I hate it when they say, oh, somebody's going into prison and uh, be given seven years, but they'll be out in two. And I think, well, what's the point of giving them seven then? They say, for good behaviour. You thought, well, no, they went into prison for bad behaviour. How can you then have good behaviour in prison? Doesn't make any sense at all. Cameron Diaz was doing the rounds. She was uh, in our building yesterday. She's very angry at the sex tape hackers who violated her friends. This is, this is going back uh, you know, the other day to people who took naked pictures of themselves and hung on to them and somebody hacked into their accounts. As I say, I'm almost disappointed. I mean, put it this way, I never got my telephone hacked. I never got my iCloud hacked. Quite clearly, I'm not remotely interesting enough to people. I need to sort of up the ante, I suppose, in this one. I'm so so wanting to be hacked by, by the telephone people at the newspaper. As I say, my, my conversations generally rely on me talking to a cardo, trying to get something delivered. That's about as good as it gets, I'm afraid. I don't know why. It's odd, that, isn't it, really? That, that some people got uh, got hacked into, and they went, ooh, it was terrible, hacked into. You're welcome to hack into any of my phone conversations. They're not exactly the most stimulating in the world. It's just, yesterday, I'll tell you what it was yesterday. My uh, bank manager phones me, and she says, I was checking your account, because she does that. And uh, she said, I noticed that the VAT is due to be paid. and You haven't mentioned it yet to me. So would you like to give me a ring? Have you filed VAT? She's very good at checking on these things. So I, uh, I phoned her back at home because her mobile phone's gone a bit pear-shaped. She went in to change it. She's on a contract and she's with a company. Is it called EE? EE. Well, I'd never heard of EE. And so she said, and still the phone's not working. Used to be, oh, it used to be Orange, did it? Oh, I know all about Orange, because I'm not with them anymore. I was with Hutchinson Telecom. When they launched Orange, I have to repeat this story again, because I was so excited by it. Um, there was a phone that came out years and years ago called Rabbit. Do you remember Rabbit? Do you remember Rabbit? This was the phone that not only worked at home, but you could take it out. And to actually make it work, you had to stand by a rabbit sign. And so... It was some, there was one in Twickenham, and it stuck out from the side of uh, what is now Waitrose, and it was just a metal sign, but it contained an aerial. And so you would stand under it, and you could use your phone. And I've still got my two rabbit phones. At home. They don't work, but I've still got them, because I think probably somebody will buy them in years to come. I'll probably see them in museums, and I'll go, I've got one of those. It's like I've got a Sony V8 video system, you know, with, with the camera and the tripod and everything. Why? I've got no idea. But anyway. Um, and so they brought out Rabbit... So I bought Rabbit, and then they said, we're, we're changing Rabbit, and we're a company called Hutchinson Telecom, and we're bringing out uh, a new phone system called Orange. And so would you like to have Orange? Because you've been loyal to Rabbit, uh, we're going to offer, I think it was about 1,000 of us, or 10,000, 10,000, I think, of us. Um, if you would like to sign up, we'll give you a year's free phone calls, and the phone will be biked over to you fully charged, your orange phone. So I thought, well, I'm having some of that. And so over it came, uh, Julie charged up (coughs) with free phone calls for the year, and it was fantastic. And then I stayed with Orange for ages and ages, and then the service got progressively worse. And so, not being a person to change 
uh, providers, because I'm not like the friends of mine keep saying to me, how much are you paying for your gas and electric? Well, I'm only paying 20 quid a month because I've now decided to change. In fact, a friend of mine said to me the other week, he said, I can change it for you. And I can do it all online. And I'm tempted, I'm tempted to change for the, for the sake of bringing down the gas and electric bill. So anyway, so I stayed with Orange and then it got progressively worse and worse and the service just wasn't there and the backup wasn't there. So in the end, I decided to change. And it was a fairly simple matter. We just sort of phoned them up and said, I need this code, gave it to somebody else and they just switched it over and that was that. So anyway, this friend of mine has got her, orange, has got her telephone from Apple, but she's with EE. And she should have been connected the other day. The trouble is, she needs to be connected to it. They, they've said, oh, they, they can't see where she's had a conversation with anybody from EE at all. She said, well, listen, I've got the phone and I'm with EE, but the phone isn't working. If you dial it, it goes, it goes to nothing at all. So they're trying to sort it out. And she said, I want to know how many phone calls I'm now missing because her father is over 90. She needs to make sure. I mean, she might have had a phone call saying he's, uh, he's died or he's not well or he's fallen over anything. It could be all sorts of things. So she's pushing, and she said, the service is dreadful. So I'm hoping, because every time I go on to, I'm with, wait a minute, I have to check who I'm with now, actually. I'm with O2. And so you get people who are O2 fans, and you get people who are three fans, or people who are fans of another, another network or whatever. And everybody's got good and bad stories. I don't have any problems with, uh, with O2, and I pay £20 a month for limitless phone calls, limitless texts, and I think a gigabyte of memory or whatever it happens to be. And, and that seems to suit me fine. Most of the time, the bill is about £21. Whereas before, I was paying a small fortune, because they went, oh, you want this and that. And before you knew where you are, you were running at about 60 to 70 quid a month. I thought, that's a £1,000 a year. No thank you. No thank you very much indeed. So I'm quite happy at the moment. Although I'm quite sure when the new orange phone... Oh, sorry, when the new iPhone comes out, which I think is September 9... What are we up to now? The 4th. So it's going to be next week, isn't it? And this will be interesting to see whether or not they bring out not only the new iPhone, but an iWatch. That's, we're not sure about that. They've, they've dropped little hints and people, because people want it. People want to change their phones on a regular basis. Although I've seen a number of people around this building who've had the same phones for years. They haven't changed. They haven't sort of moved up. Or failing that, people who don't plug their iPhones into their computers to get all the upgrades. So they're still sitting there with some... I mean, I do mine on a regular basis. I charge it up and it does all the upgrades. You've got to do that because otherwise you're way behind with things. Uh, Jenny in Leicester Square says, uh, Steve, Peter Andre's got a Christmas album coming out. Thank you. I'm so thrilled. I should put it down on my list together with the Peter Andre gift wrap paper. Can imagine buying such a yeah. such a thing? And uh, I will get to see our zoo because I love it. That's uh, part filmed at London Zoo and um, the other one, isn't it? Whipsnade. And uh, Adam says, "I wish TV would bring back Paul O'Grady." I'll start smiling the second I see him. It's joy. I like doing him for in conversation. Paul O'Grady is is. Uh, we always have a good. In fact, actually, we haven't had a bad in conversation. I, I would tell you if we had. Because I'm always very honest about them. I always say, so-and-so wasn't... We did have one person came in. Well, I can't tell you who it is. I wish I could. And uh, he said, uh, they all say, how long is this interview? Whereas, in fact, generally the, the PAs have said, you're doing Steve Allen for In Conversation, because we're national, and, um, and you get two bites at it. It goes out in the morning on Sunday between 5 and 6, repeated on Sunday evening between 9 and 10. So it's a, it's a real good bit of publicity, and the audience figures are fantastic. And because it's national, it's even better. So this week, you get Sir Roger Moore and Charlie Hickson, both of whom have connections, of course, 
to Bond, which is good news. And then uh, today we've got Michael Palin and this huge book. And then next week, oh, there's a whole raft of celebrities, which I'm looking forward to. So they're all good, apart from this one who came in and said, how long is it? And I said, oh, it's two ten-minute pieces. And he said, oh, I can only do five minutes. And then I said to his PR officer, I said, why did he say that? She said, well, he's, he's free. We, you know, we've allocated 30 minutes for you, which they do with the time you've got them down, sat them down, have a cup of coffee, chatted about mutual friends. Then you're, you're off into the interview. Roger Moore was, was brilliant. Charlie Hickson was really good. Well, I know I'm running late. 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 26 minutes to 6. Very dark and gloomy out there this morning. Wonder what the weather is going to bring for today. I shall tell you exactly what it is once i found it. Oh, yes, here it is. Uh, dry, sunny intervals, some overnight mist and fog patches. OK, that's fine. Uh, and today it'll lift to give a variable, often cloudy condition, but also some sunny spells. Nick Abbott was uh, waxing lyrical about how exciting the weather's going to be. He said, oh, it's going to be great, it's going to be sunny. He's obviously one of these people who enjoys the sunshine, whereas I can't bear it. Cannot bear it. The interesting thing is, when we talk to Roger Moore, we talk about sunshine, and because he lives in Monaco, and I'm assuming the weather is not bad in Monaco, uh, he doesn't tan, he does not sunbathe. And I said, the moment I mentioned it, I said, uh, I said, I said, you, you, you're not a sort of a, a mahogany colour. My friend Graham uh, goes off to the south of France every so often, and he lies there until he turns the colour of creosote, and he absolutely loves it. But every, of course, he makes me look as I'm anemic. You know, it's a ridiculous. I mean, it's me pale and insipid, and he's he's the colour of a of a small fence or a shed. And uh, and I said to Roger, you, you don't actually sunbathe, and he said, oh no no no. Nobody, anybody who lives in these places, like in Cannes or in Monaco or in the south of France, you don't, you don't sunbathe. The people who live there certainly don't sunbathe. You cover up all the time. Very dangerous. He said years ago you wouldn't have thought about it. He said, you know, to be bronzed was to be healthy and attractive. He said now, you know, if you see somebody who's a little bit too brown, that's why fake tan is all the rage. And people get very excited about, oh, fake tan. But you, want, you go away on a holiday and you do feel better when you come back with a tan. I can remember... In the south of France, we were there some years ago, and we used to go down to the beach every day, and it was in those, in those halcyon days of the uh, early 70s, very young, of course, um, that you did tan. I can remember taking my swing trunks off in the bathroom and, uh, and seeing the contrasting colour of... And I never put sun cream on. I just seemed to be lucky. I spent most of my childhood running around in very hot countries, and it obviously didn't affect me. Now I can't bear it. Can't bear it at all. I could no more sit out in the sun than... than hang glide or bungee jump. My neighbour Lynn loves it. She adores it. But all the rich people, I said, we, we stayed in an apartment in the south of France on the Quasette in Cannes. And we opened the bathroom cupboard and it was full of fake tans because people use the fake tan. But of course, with the fake tan comes the horrible smell. And so they've all brought it out, haven't they? I remember seeing poor old Chloe Sims, another one of those dimwits from the Only Wears Essex who was plugging some sort of fake tan thing and trying to make out that she was, tr- she was trying to be cultured, but it just came over as being pitifully awful. I think Lauren Goodyear might even have some sort of naff sort of fake tanning thing. Uh, dry, oh, what are we going to get temperature-wise today? Better tell you, it's 22 degrees. At the moment, it's 14, so it's not brilliant. And climbing to 22 tonight, dry as we head into the weekend. It's good, isn't it? Looking forward to the weekend? I'm kind of looking forward to the weekend. What started off as being just two of us going down to, uh, to Brighton to walk along the seafront and partake of fish and chips has now turned into six of us going down to Brighton. I'm not sure whether so I need to go and get a haircut and smart myself up for the weekend. Uh, tonight, dry, variable, cloudy conditions, patches of low cloud mist and fog. And tomorrow morning, low cloud mist and fog patches lifting. It should be a, a bright and sunny day. And then the outlook for Saturday to Monday. Saturday, cloudy with showery rain. 
bit boring. Sunday and Monday, cooler, brighter conditions, with the chance of an isolated shower. There we go. So poor old Nick Abbott will be very, very disappointed. <laughs> very, very disappointed. Uh, Winnie says, I do believe Peter's currently touring with Anton Deck on their Saturday night takeaway. Oh, God. My friend took her kids to see it last night at Sheffield. We've missed out on seeing him, as Wembley was last weekend. Yes, I mean, I suppose, really, that's the best. Well, he, he wasn't invited to the GQ Men of the Year. I didn't see him there. I really didn't see him there at all. Um, thank you to Soren as well. This is the Hobbit joke. You Tolkien to me. OK, it's the best you're going to get. I'm sorry, they don't get any better on this programme. I mean, well, put it this way, we aren't actually good, but at least we've got guts. At least we've got guts. At least we make an effort, don't we, I suppose. Uh, 84850, simply... Charles, you're just repeating what you've heard on LBC. You, that's not your own thought. You've just repeated what you heard on somebody else's programme. Uh, Philip says, did you manage to retune your free view tip? Yep. Easy peasy. I did it, actually, halfway through Golden Balls. I was a little bit disappointed. But I did laugh, because at the end of the day, uh, they came down to only winning £3.65s to split between two of them. <laughs> Which does make you laugh, especially as they lost so much money before. But I did watch Noel Edmonds, and they had a very large child on there doing the programme. Uh, he was the contestant in Deal or No Deal. And everybody seemed to like... He called everybody mate and darling and all this kind of stuff. He just looked like a... He, in fact, he looked like a slightly younger version of the producer of this programme. He was sort of quite, quite... I couldn't work out how old he was, but he wanted to win enough money to take his parents on a cruise. And I can't remember, because I, as I was retuning, I lost that bit. And the television retuned, and it was all right for the first minute, and then it sort of slowed down a bit, then it speeded up. By the time we got there, the programme had finished, so I was, a, I was a bit disappointed. So I was sort of whizzing through the channel. So if anybody can fill me in on that one, I will be eternally grateful, just so I know where I am. Uh, other programmes you want to bring back onto... It's amazing, actually. Um... Lenin Bushy says, perhaps if you took a picture of yourself while sitting in the shower, you would get hacked. Well, at least by Nick Abbott. I mean, it's really odd, isn't it, that people take pictures of themselves in compromising positions and then, and then worry when somebody hacks them. They're going, it's a violation. It's a, well, don't take the pictures in the first place. I know, you sh I know people say, well, you know, you should be able to. You should be able to. But I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm just not totally convinced that it's the way forward. Why do people want to take nude pictures of themselves? As babies, yes, you can understand that. 84850. Tom says, alcohol to blame. What rot? This woman jailed for seven years is a violent idiot. Oh, she's, uh, she's a criminal. I mean, they do blame alcohol. Alcohol is to blame for so many attacks on people. You see it on the television all the time. I watch the police having to do it. But now the, but now the police have actually said that you should solve your own crimes. And once you've started solving them, then they, they can sort of help you a bit further down the line. I don't really have a problem, but I thought the idea is that we're not supposed to take the law into our own hands. We're supposed to phone the police if we see something. We're not supposed to join in. Although I did see the other day on the television somebody who was driving their car drunk. They were tracked by cameras in Reading. And when the bloke was cornered by the police, he got out of the car and tried to run. Not only was he brought down by... Um, by the WPC, who was chasing him, but also members of the public joined in. Obviously wanted to get their, their bit of uh, sixpenneth. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Um, another one here says uh, the local weekly paper has a full front page spread telling us the hostage's name and his parents. Well, the son have put him on the front page. I don't want to name him. I don't want to name him. I think it's unnecessary. You know, the family are probably going through quite enough without without having to realise that he's already been the subject of a video of which they have 
stills from inside the sun this morning that they've, um, for some reason, they've blacked his face out. And yet on the front cover of the paper, there he is. But I'm not going to name him. I think it's unfair to the family. I think they don't want to have to think about what might happen to this young man. So I'm, I'm leaving it well alone. Uh, 84850, I've already told people before, Des, that I think Judge Rinder is the dread, most dreadful programme I've seen on the television. Absolutely dreadful. I can't stand him. I don't like the programme. And it just just doesn't work for me. Uh, and then Joey says, can diabetics have fried chicken? The, cu- the, the, the clue is in the word fried. Fried. No, absolutely not. I mean, put it this way, I'm sure you can have something. I'm sure you can have a little bit of it, but it's, it's, not, it's not particularly good for you. Anything that's fried is not good for you. So that's why. Oh, he won £7,000 on Deal or No Deal. Thank you. And Julie told me that. Tom told me that. Oh, well, I think £7,000 is, is OK. Because he obviously came from a family where they didn't have much money. And for 7000 quid, he was looking to buy a little car. Or in his case, a fairly big car. And uh, his insurance, because he was young, would be quite high. So he, uh, he wanted to send his parents on a cruise. Which, well, you can get a good cruise for two people for, you know, a couple of grand... And so he could have 5,000 left and he could put sort of 2,000 pound on a car and send probably 2,000 pound on the insurance and then save 1,000 pounds. So he's actually done quite well. I got, I'm glad he got something because obviously everybody liked him there. He was obviously, you know, and you, and you looked at him and I thought at one point, because he, he literally, if you haven't seen Deal or No Deal, it's this programme where they have to get rid of all the blue boxes but keep the red ones because they've got the cash that you want. And it goes all the way from, I don't know, 50 quid up to two, 250,000 pounds. And on one round, he lost the 250,000, the 75,000 and the 100,000. I mean, it couldn't have been worse for the poor soul. And my heart did go out to him a little bit because he was obviously quite enthusiastic. And obviously people liked him on there. So at least he got seven grand. Seven grand is, is a lot of money. You know, it's not many jobs you can earn seven. Oh, no, so you're a footballer. I keep hearing stories of how much footballers earn. And I keep thinking, perhaps I should have blamed my parents. They never encouraged me to play football. My mother didn't want me to start kicking balls around, getting the kit dirty. I played rugby at school. We didn't play football. And uh, we did hockey. Hockey, I ask you. Uh, the X has struck back. Uh, Nick is going to be talking about this this morning. The most uh, unpopular French president ever, François Hollande, now has to contend with today's publication of his former partner's explosive memoirs about their breakup. She's quite clearly a very bitter, very bitter person. And so she's, uh, she's written a book about it. Who cares? You know, I mean, why would it be of any interest to somebody because somebody has an affair? Although I did hear, actually, a, a, a friend of mine did say to me the other day, we were sort of chatting, and he said, oh, have you heard? And I said, no. He said, um, the wife's left me. And I said, oh, no. And it turns out that he came home and he found his wife in the back of a van with a builder if you please. And uh, the whole thing is that she's now gone off with her, you know, to stay with her mother. It's all a bit, a bit messy, I'm afraid. And uh, so what he's done, he sort of retaliated uh, immediately, heard about this on Sunday, and he's cancelled her credit cards. And I said, I don't think you should do that straight away because it's a joint account. But he's absolutely gutted, as indeed you would be in a case like this. But, of course, for these famous people, if it's somebody famous you're having an affair with, you can sell a story on it. They will, they will buy stories in the newspapers. They will, you know, and in her case, she's written a book. Who's going to buy a book? I've got no idea. But she's obviously very bitter, and she's obviously decided that this is the way forward. And I know that they're going to be talking about it on the... Uh, on Nick Ferrari's programme today. They'll be talking to Anne-Elizabeth uh, Moutet, who's the columnist at The Telegraph, based in Paris. 
I mean, who buys these? It's like, it's like buying MPs' books. I, I couldn't quite work out who would be interested in discovering what goes on in Parliament. I think Cherie Blair did one, and that was about Prime Ministers over the years. I don't think that did particularly well either. It becomes a bit like vanity publishing, doesn't it? It's quarter to six. Alan on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's nice to have your company. It's 11 minutes to six. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Don't forget, I'm here on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, in conversation between 5 and 6 a.m., repeated at Sunday evening between 9 and 10, and then I'm live on Sunday morning between 6 and 8 as we meander, as I affectionately call it, through the Sunday papers and try and find some of those stories that will have you going, oh, my goodness me, I bet Steve loves that story. And most of them I do, actually. There's always, there's always something going on in the papers that uh, amuses me. I'm, I'm fairly amused by a story that's in the papers today of an asylum seeker who claimed to be an Iranian refugee. Unfortunately, not only could he not describe the country's flag or sing the national anthem, but he knew absolutely nothing about the country whatsoever. Uh, his name is Rabba Hamed Kaza. Uh, he said he was an Iranian Kurd when he was quizzed by officials, but his ignorance raised doubts as to his origins. He's first, he, he first told them he was a 15-year-old Albanian. We had somebody in a school once, and they said, oh, I'm, I'm only 14. And people looked and went, I think you look about 35. But he'd managed to convince people he was a schoolboy. Anyway, this is uh, Kaza's bid for asylum, was rejected in December 2010. The following year, he was jailed for 16 months for starting a fire in a hostel in Buckinghamshire. The conviction led to an automatic deportation order to what is believed to be his native land, which is Iraqi Kurdistan, an order he's been fighting ever since. We have to put up with these people. The details of his bid for refugee status were revealed at London's High Court as a judge rejected his unfounded claims that he was unlawfully detained for a year. After his jail term ended, Home Office staff ordered that uh, Kaza remain detained as he was a risk to the public and might flee before his deportation was finalised. He was later bailed in June 2013. His lawyers argued his removal was never likely to have been accomplished in the time he was detained, making the detentions illegal. His legal bills have so far cost us more than £5,000. I mean, quite clearly, the man's a compulsive liar. got no idea what on earth we would want somebody like that in the country for. Why would we want him here? Um, apparently, Clayton says, by not attending a Peter Andre concert, you don't know what you're missing. I think, I, I think music lovers know that, Clayton. Us Andrexes, as Peter's fans call themselves, always enjoy them. I know, there's so few of you, though, isn't there, really? He tells us how much he loves his kids and sings a melody of his hit. <laughs> so tongue-in-cheek. Yes, I know, Peter Andre's one hit in Insania, or something like that. Do you remember when he was in the... <laughs> I have to laugh. I, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And he took his guitar in very unwisely. It's like, you know, turning up to a to sort of a Matt Goss interview and Matt Goss turns up with his guitar. You kind of go, rather you didn't sing, dear. It's very sweet, but don't bother. And Peter was singing in the in the jungle and we're all going, oh, dear, fingers and ears, I think. Terrible. But he, he does love his kids and that's great. And, of course, he has, has so many of them, which is uh, which is fantastic. Uh, Mike says, I, I don't like Judge Rinder. It's very embarrassing. Yes, I mean, it, I just don't... I don't quite get it, because he's not butch enough to be of any interest to anybody on the television. He's a bit too fey. And uh, for that reason, I'm afraid, he goes, he goes way down the line for me. And if it's, if it's a, a copy of Judge Judy in America, who is well-established, uh, then it's a poor imitation. The courtroom looks nice, but the people are a bit simple. And I don't know where, where they... Perhaps they put an advert in, in some local paper, I don't know, to find them. But he's, he's just a bit, a bit silly. 
and, and just not very good. It's, it's not even very entertaining television, I'm afraid. I too, says Ed, would welcome having my mobile phone hacked by News International on the basis I'd finally get reception on it, courtesy of a declining service provider, EE. Yes, I mean, I, it's only because she's not having much joy, but then it used to be orange, so I was worried about it. I mean, orange sounded better than EE, doesn't it? But I, I, I do take the point that everybody has a phone provider that they either complain about or they move somewhere else, but I think they, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. I'm totally convinced that, you know, not everything is perfect, much as though you would like it. It's like buying a car. Some people say, I swear by BMW. Somebody else will say, I swear by a Mercedes. And the truth be known, you have... You know, Monday cars, Tuesday cars, Wednesday cars. They used to say, if your car started going wrong, ooh, they used to say that was made on a Monday, wasn't it? When nobody was particularly bothered. Uh, 84850, steve at Um and, and Glenn says, I agree with you 100% about the Judge Rinder programme. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I like having a programme on the television that, that you can criticise because, you know, people aren't honest enough about things nowadays. You know, if something's rubbish on the television, tell them it's rubbish. Quite clearly, you're all voting with your feet and, uh, and you're on off switch on Loose Women because it's not doing very well. Whether or not bringing in Judy Finnegan... I don't know. It's going to make a difference. Will bringing Gloria Hunniford in make a difference? I don't know. Sharon Osbourne could be fairly feisty. I like the idea of seeing Sharon Osbourne. Provided the only problem with that programme will be, because they're all, they're all fairly strong people, is they mustn't talk over each other. I used to do a round-table programme years ago with MPs. And by the time you've got... And even having just three MPs in the studio... Uh, was te- trying to control them was a nightmare because people then fell up saying, listen, we can't hear what they're saying because they're all talking at the same time. And the reason is they were all trying to get their six penneth in. So, uh, so that's why. So I, I'll, I'll watch it with interest, but it needs to, be, uh, needs to be watched very, very carefully. 40 years ago this week, 40 years ago, the first episode of Porridge was shown on the television. Uh, Christopher Biggins has done an interview in The Express today on what he learnt working with Ronnie Barker and all the other stars, because uh, Richard Beckinsale, uh, Fulton Mackay, and uh, Biggins. I can't remember what Biggins's name was in, uh, in Porridge, but it was very good. There was a film made of Porridge as well, which was about a, a jail break. It was a great programme. I absolutely loved it. But the, the one thing that fascinates me now is, as you know, I'm fascinated by pyramids, fascinated by treasure trove, I'm fascinated by anything that goes on under the ground. Time team, me to a T. Absolutely loved it. So you can imagine, here it is, a busy high street, and they've discovered a priceless hall of Roman gold and silver, 2,000 years old. Experts say the find in Colchester in Essex, because Colchester goes back to Roman times, so they reckon it was hidden there to, uh, to escape being found... Uh, by Bodicea or Boudica, depending on uh, which which pronunciation you like. And they've got all sorts of things here, because as Boudica advanced on Colchester in a small garrison during a revolt against Roman rule, people, um, people you know, started hiding their jewellery. They didn't want to lose it. And they reckon here, uh, and this has been a six-month dig, a six-month dig on the site of the William and Griffin department store, was of national importance. And one of the most important things that they found in... Absolute years. 
Boudicca's army burnt Colchester, where today a two-foot red and black layer of debris remains under the town. The hoard was buried in bags and a wooden box under the site of a Roman house. And the coroner will now rule whether it's treasure trove, which means the finder can keep it, uh, or be compensated in full by the crown. Now, what it's worth, I've got no idea, but they've got all sorts of things. Gold uh, armlets, earrings, silver coins, chains part of a tangled ball of metal uncovered in Colchester. I mean, how exciting. How exciting. I went to the Museum of London. They had an exhibition a short while ago, and to be honest with you, I was a bit disappointed. It was the London Hall, or something like that, where they found this, this treasure chest, which they think could have been owned by a jeweller. And when I saw it in the cabinet, it didn't, it didn't look as exciting as I was... Uh, as I was hoping it was going to be. But Colchester's an absolute hotbed for the archaeologists. They're finding stuff. So six months they dig, and then, lo and behold, ta-da, treasure trove. And uh, can they keep it? We'll have to wait and find out. I wonder what it's worth. Wouldn't like to imagine. Uh, Ian from Thornton Heath said, Biggins plays, played lukewarm in porridge. The camp one in the kitchen. Eight four eight five O Steve at LBC. Thank you, Lorraine, as well, in Wanstead. Oh, it's to ride my bicycle. I remember Rabbit and the decline in customer service with Orange um, since it changed from Hutchinson Telecom. After 19 years like you, I left and joined three whose customer service, Steve, is exemplary. Yes, everybody's got different uh, different feelings on this, haven't they? On, on, on what service you get from these different companies. Some people will tell you that you probably find E is fantastic for them. I think you're just either lucky or you're unlucky. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, most of the phone companies I've been with, it took a lot to get me to move from Orange. But I just got to that stage, where the, and I'm, I'm unfortunately a little bit lazy. It's only if somebody says to me, listen, I'll do it for you, that I go, oh, OK. So I probably will change my service providers for gas and electricity. I just need somebody to do it for me. But I've got a friend who said, don't worry, I can do it all online. It's not difficult. I'll do it for you. And that's when I go, OK. But up until then, if it involves me doing it, I'm rubbish. I've only just learned how to file VAT, and you know how stressful my life becomes. Uh, successful, popular, but Amanda in the Daily Mail today was drinking five bottles of wine a day. Dear Lord, what an amateur. Early breakfast, LBC. It's Steve Allen with you until 6.30 this morning. It's still dark, isn't it? When did, we, when did it go back? Oh, we finished summer, haven't we? I've just realised we've had summer now. I've noticed I could be standing waiting for the car in the morning and leaves are blowing off the trees. It's going to be one of those uh, one of those things, isn't it? Cara Delevingne, pictured in the papers today, worse for wear for about the umpteenth time. We had it at Heathrow Airport. We have had it all over the place, really. France could sell off the Mona Lisa. Uh, to pay off national debts. It's worth about, they reckon, one and a half billion. But the girl in the paper today who's died, she injected insulin. She's not diabetic. She thought she could use it as a, as a weight loss. The benefit cheap with a million-pound property empire and the police forcing the public to act as DIY detectives. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. That and more is next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. I see that the Mayor of Calais has threatened to block all ferry traffic to and from the port 
unless Britain does more to tackle illegal immigration. This is in light of the fact that the Home Office have now lost 175,000 illegal immigrants. We had one the other day, didn't we? He was on the run from an open prison, in for murder. He'd been claiming benefits for nine years and they hadn't got the faintest idea. We're becoming more incompetent. The people want to come here because they say it's El Dorado. The benefit system is so fantastic. Yes, we found a man earlier on this morning who, in fact, had built up a million-pound property empire by lying through his teeth and nobody appeared to check. So they sent him to prison for two and a half years. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Oh, and the woman who cried, the Bake Off girl. She got a dressing down from Mary. Not good news. All of that and uh, more this morning between now and half past. France may be selling off the Mona Lisa. To be honest with you, I think it's not going to happen. A billion and a half pounds. Somebody would have it, wouldn't they? To actually say that you that you possess the Mona Lisa. That would be something... I mean, it could be, a, it could be a fake up there at the moment. I've got no idea. And why three in four women prefer to go out with a chubbier chap? See, chubby chasers are all over the place. You know, it exists in, in every culture. People like somebody with a bit of, a bit of weight on. You know, they like somebody... You don't want to go out with a skinny mini, do you? No point in going out with somebody skinny. You know, because then people do jokes about that. People do jokes about everybody. It doesn't matter if you're fat, thin or whatever. I noticed there was a girl in one of the papers the other day and uh, they were trying... To, I forget who she was. She was either a singer and, uh, and they went, oh, and she was bullied at school. And every time I read that, my heart kind of drops because... Everybody, kids are cruel at school. Everybody was everybody was bullied at school to to a certain extent. Unless, of course, you were the bully, and the reason you were the bully is because you were bullied some years before. Mariana says, um, "I so much enjoy listening to your uh, to your fab program, which is fantastic. Thank you very much indeed." And Claire enjoys it as well. And the character Biggins plays was lukewarm. I know he doesn't look any different. He really doesn't. Clayton reckons that the melody of his hit joke is copyrighted. Richard Stilgo. Oh no, it's uh, no. I shall now do a scene from all of my movies. That's a favourite one from uh, Judy Dench, I believe. And I think I shall now do a medley of my hit. I think goes back before Richard Stilgo. In fact, I think it goes back long before Richard Stilgo. So here's this poor girl who's in the Great British Bake Off, and I'm not watching it. It's no good asking about it. I don't know anything about it. I just know that it's people baking, and you've got Paul Hollywood, who I can't stand, and Mary Berry, who we adore, and there's a girl called Martha, and uh, they say she's used to effortlessly juggling, juggling homework with her passion for making cakes. So they've stuck her on there, and uh, apparently now, her name's Martha Collison, she's now feeling the pressure... Uh, she's the youngest competitor at 17. She was reduced to tears after finding herself on the receiving end of Mary Berry's withering criticism. You see, I don't think they should put children on the television. I really don't. I, mean, I heard somebody talking to Nick Abbott claiming that he knew an 11-year-old who was working in a pub, bottling up and peeling potatoes in the kitchen. Not even to look. And uh, Nick quite rightly said he was going to inform social services. Because you can't have an 11-year-old bottling up in a pub, unless it's your parents that own the pub. If you're just, you know, a kid going in and they're paying you because he can't find anything else to do. So he bottles up in a pub at the weekend. I think that's totally illegal. And uh, if it takes it any further, social services will, will become involved. I'm still trying to find out why women like, like chubby people, chubby chasers. You know, you know. I mean, I, I don't know. Some men like Rubenesque women, don't they? I mean, there's that bloke that we found who manages to find White D attractive. You know, can't quite see it myself, but there we go. Uh, men could spend months at the gym trying to get a physique like Daniel Craig, but it's a bit of a waste of time. I mean, I think going to the gym is a waste of time. It's great, you know, if you want to have a, a washboard stomach or you want to be a Chippendale or something like that. But if you want to be a Blobbindale, then you just keep eating the pies. Four out of five women in some regions would rather have a partner who is on the cuddly side. You see, I think cuddly is fat. They just can't bring themselves to say the word fat. 
so they call it cuddly. Like we say about sort of fat women, we call them Rubenesque, because they've got curves, haven't they? 19 out of 20 women said dining out with an image-conscious beefcake was no fun at all. I know a friend of mine went out with a, a model once, and it was a boring evening of his entire life. They spent all the time sort of checking out whether everybody was checking them out. I mean, I go out... I mean, I, I know people look at me when I go out. I know in restaurants they look at me with envy. You know, they think, oh, I wish I was as slim as that person. Not me, they're looking at generally the person I'm eating with. And uh, they say here that it's, it's a lot easier to go out with somebody who's a bit chubbier because then they don't feel guilty about eating a pudding. You know, people do that. You go out to a restaurant, don't you? And you sit there and uh, then you, you get to... Oh, you go, I'm really, oh, I feel really full. And then somebody goes, do you want a, a, a pudding? And you go, oh, I couldn't eat anything. You could really. But, but you try to pretend that you're not actually going out for a pudding. Whereas I always order two puddings. Because I can never make my mind up. So what I always say is, I tell you what, let's get two spoons and we'll order, say, two or three puddings and then we've got them. I wish they did puddings as a taster menu. A bit like the uh, the fat duck. You know, I, I wish they did that. They have a taster menu and that's the one everybody goes for. But I wish they actually did it for puddings so you could have all the puddings in miniature. So then you could try a little bit of everything. Because I don't just want one pudding. And so that's why I normally, if I'm going out with people, I will have two or three and I will just have a little bit of each one. So I've sampled it. That's what I want to do. Much easier, isn't it? Nothing, no point being made to feel guilty. The only thing I don't go for in restaurants, I generally don't go for a cup of coffee. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. And I don't go for cheese and biscuits. But there again, most restaurants don't seem to offer cheese and biscuits now. It's a bit faffy, isn't it? They bring round the, the cheese trolley. You know, I don't mind them bringing round in Onslow Court in London, which is this, this unique restaurant. You've never seen anything like it. It is a throwback to the 70s. It's a, it's a lovely menu and the food is delicious. And it's... it's it's, it's always packed. It's always packed. It's not big. It's in somebody's flat. It was a flat in this block of flats. And they've turned it into this restaurant. And they do. They have a sweet trolley. It's, um, you don't see it very often. You see it in some big hotels where they bring around the sweet trolley and you go, I'll have some profiteroles, some fresh fruit salad and a bit of cheesecake or something like that. And, uh, and I think that's quite nice. I like this hark back to old-fashioned times when, you know, they didn't put... You know, when they started going all... French and only little items of food on the plate. I used to, the plate used to arrive and you'd say to it, excuse me, and the food is where? It was all this nouvelle cuisine stuff. It came over from France. I don't know. Perhaps the French people don't want to eat anything. But you used to get them bringing round the cheese board at the end. You don't seem to get that so often now. You don't get the cheese board out there. And, and I wouldn't eat cheese anyway because it's terribly fattening. But I, I like the idea that somebody's have a little bit of camembert, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I do enjoy a piece of French bread and butter. I do enjoy that. I don't like it when they bring the butter in the little pats, which are wrapped up, because it's generally rock hard and it takes you forever to put it on. Uh, have you seen the afternoon programme on ITV called Who's Doing the Washing Up? It's a bit like Come Dine With Me and Through the Keyhole. Last night, says uh, Les and Sandra, they were doing Bobby George's house. Oh, God, I think I seem to remember that before. I don't know, he's still going? Is he still alive? That's the man who does something to do with darts, isn't it? And he's covered in jewellery. I seem to remember his house being really naff. Is it still as naff as I remember it being? <laughs> 84850, steve at uk. Francisco says, if Judge Rinder is that bad, why have I to you commissioned a second series? I don't know, dear, I don't do commissioning. Somebody asked me a question, do I like it? And I said, no, I didn't. I thought it was rubbish. And of course, they know they might have to commit. It might be that cheap to make, I should imagine. And I don't know why they commissioned a second series. I never quite understand why they came back with the voice on the BBC. 
I'm assuming it's because it's a cheap programme. Uh, the voice is cheap and it's rubbish. And, in fact, even people on it can't believe it's been, it's been brought out again. Kevin the Cuddly Milkman says, uh, Blooming great, Steve. I finally started diet and going to the gym, and now I'm told three in four women are chubby chasers. <laughs> and apparently, according to this, this lady here, she says bigger men keep you warmer in winter. Well, I suppose they do if they fall on top of you, don't they? I suppose you could keep warm. Why do you want to keep warm? I have no trouble keeping warm in, in winter at all. I tend to find central heating, a hot water bottle and Teddy. And, uh, and we're all terribly happy about the whole thing. So anyway, just going back briefly to Martha, who wept as her soggy dessert earned her dressing down. They shouldn't really put children who are a delicate nature on television. 17 is, is way too young to be on a television programme. It's for adults. If at 17 you're bursting into tears, it means that the pressure has finally got to you. And it's all a little bit, uh, a bit embarrassing. I'm not watching the programme. I'll probably get the book if it, if it comes out. Uh, hardly model behaviour, Cara Delevingne, again, uh, falling over in the street. She's a bit of an embarrassment, really. It's, uh, you know, she might be a top model, but she's, she's got no sense of uh, the occasion. She doesn't know what to wear or anything like that. Uh, the granny of, uh, of Asher... Uh, she's accused the British authorities of signing his death warrant. She said time is running out for him. She says a hearing on Monday to determine whether he remains a ward of court could be too late and demanded an emergency hearing. I think it's absolutely disgraceful how they've treated this family. Absolutely disgraceful. I really do. It just, it's, it's one of the very few things that's annoyed me. This is so emotional for a family who are battling with a, a child who is terminal that, uh, you know, everything should be thrown out the window. I'm sick to death of the court system. Hey. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 6.20 is the time. I was looking at, uh, at uh, the view from the media centre of the driving range at, uh, at uh, Celtic Manor, which is for NATO. So I think uh, must be Theo Usherwood is, uh, is up there, I should imagine. I make him laugh every day. Well, I think I frighten him more than that. It's another story. Anyway, um, uh, what else we got? Uh, Malcolm says, being a chubby chaser and being a chubby myself, when we, start, when we stand face to face, she says, thanks for the tip. Thank you. This is the story in the paper today that says that three out of four women prefer a slightly chubbier person. And there's old poor Kevin toddling off to the gym to turn himself into Rambo, whereas, in fact, really, it's actually a little bit better if you, if you keep, you know, a little bit of weight on you. We used to be told it's really bad for you, didn't really? Years ago, they said, oh, it's bad to carry a bit of weight. But to be honest with you, it's, uh, it's, it's fine, I think. As long as you look after yourself and you eat sensibly, it's great. Uh, more on uh, Asher. His uh, father says, I've, I've just told him I love him, but he's lost his spirit for life. He's must, he must be really weary, this little boy. There is a mystery donor who has stepped in to fund his proton treatment. It's hugely expensive. I don't think you realise how expensive this proton treatment is. Uh, already, uh, they've had, I think, £30,000 donated and a, a mystery donor has come up and they will cover the rest of the £150,000 cost of his treatment, which is nice. His uh, granny has said that time's running out for him. You look at the pictures of him, he looks like a boy who's being beaten by this. It can't be much fun. It really can't. When you're five and you're frightened... All he wants is his parents there, but his, his father has said, you know, the fight's going out of him, so we have to try and get it back in again. You have to do that, because he's only a, only a little boy. He's only five years old. Uh, Stressed-out women are losing their hair in their 20s now. It's an awful thing. I mean, you, you get men losing their hair, but for women to lose their hair, it's particularly difficult. 
So now they say a third of women polled said they'd suffered hair thinning, three quarters blaming life and work stress on the condition of their hair. Well, that explains it then. Next time somebody says, where's your hair gone? I go, stress, life strain, life strain. It's like people who go grey younger. You know, I've, I've had a number of, uh, of sort of friends who've actually, they've actually gone grey and white. Before I thought they, I always imagined that if you, if you had grey hair, that would be in your 70s. But now it's occurring earlier and earlier. Judy Finnegan returning to the screens. Husband Richard, nowhere in sight, but he can't be. It's called Loose Women. It'd be a bit silly, wouldn't it? And so she's due to join the panel of ITV's Loose Women. This is only a year after she admitted she's given up presenting for good. Now, I don't know how it's going to work out. They've uh, signed up a string of new names. uh, Penny Lancaster, Gloria Honeyford and Sharon Osborne as a guest presenter. Martin Frizzell, former boss at GMTV, has been given the, uh, the job of upping the ante on the programme because it's hemorrhaging audience. And I don't know whether or not it's because it's an old format. I don't know whether or not it's because people are just going, we're a bit bored with this same old, same old every day. Uh, Or whether or not uh, you want back people like Carol Vorderman and uh, Lisa Maxwell. You see, I thought Carol Vorderman was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Last year, Miss Finnegan, or Mrs Maidley, said she didn't miss television, saying it sucked the life out of me. And explaining her turnabout yesterday, she said, I know I said I wouldn't go back on the telly, but actually I'm looking forward to occasionally contributing to lively conversations between a group of outspoken and intelligent women. So they're hoping that it's going to go more upmarket. I don't see how it can do with Sharon Osbourne. I don't quite see how that's going to take it up market. They've kept all the other things. They've only put sort of three people on there, and they'll obviously rotate them. Now, whether it works, I mean, as I said earlier on on the programme, I think to put Judy Finnegan on with Gloria Hannaford and uh, Sharon Osborne would be a huge mistake. Huge mistake, because she's, uh, she's not a, a pushy person at all, Judy. She's actually quite quiet. If you remember, she, she does, you know, she could do the programme when she presented with Richard, that was fine. But towards the end of her television career then, she's 66, I think, now, um, he, was, he was doing all the chatting. I was like, shut up, shut up, let her talk. We want to hear more from, uh, more from Judy, more from Judy. Um, other stories in the papers... Uh, today, oh, it's another Judy. This time it's Judy Murray, who's done a selfie. We have to suffer with that because now we've got the Strictly Come Dancing programme. You're going to be, you're really going to end up hating half these people on the programme. I predict you're really going to get very, very annoyed because they're just very irritating people. Uh, also, um, it's more dogs needed. Well, homes for dogs needed. Uh, the Game of Thrones craze, and they've now got six husky pups. To be honest with you, they're absolutely gorgeous. They're in the Daily Mail today, and I would absolutely love to take six husky pups on. You'd have to have a huge place, though, wouldn't you? A huge place. They're absolutely adorable. They're at a Blue Cross centre in Thirsk, and they're, they're just wonderful. You just think to yourself, I want to take them all. I have no doubt that by the end of today, these uh, little puppies will all have homes. Uh, New powers to target parents. And this is as uh, parents go berserk trying to get school uniforms. They should have done it ages ago, but they've left it till the last minute because a lot of the kids are going back to school. I think probably on Monday, although some it's a bit haphazard around our way. We've got some kids on the trains and then you get to the platform and there's nobody who's going to the schools. Uh, I'm assuming Monday is D-Day when the trains are going to be packed solid with screaming children. It's going to be vile. But uh, the parents are out now trying to get the school uniforms together, uh, which they should have done when they broke up. It would have made it so much easier, so much easier. But they're now saying that they're going to target parents who park too near to a school. A £100 fine 
if you disobey. And it's the big dropping off, isn't it? Or just drop the child off and they're going to say no. I don't know why parents insist on taking their children to school. I really don't. Why they don't get on the bus like everybody else. Loads of kids. When I get on the train in the morning, there's all sorts of kids who are on there. You know, some are very young. They've got their big kit bags and their school bags and everything else. They manage. You get other kids who are sitting in the back of the 4 by 4 They look half asleep. At least if they actually get on the train, at least they'll have sort of sampled some air before they actually get into, into school. There's a new test which they say will diagnose diabetes years earlier. I suppose you're having to <coughs> wait because I'm assuming you must, it must sort of turn up. Um, and you can go, yes, I think, you know, I mean, they always ask me, I was asked years ago, is there any history of diabetes in your family? And I said, as far as I know, there isn't. Mum and dad don't have diabetes, didn't have diabetes. My brother doesn't have diabetes. Uh, I don't know, going through the rest of the family, whether they have or not. But uh, at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, it's just me. And there is that terrible story in the paper of the girl who thought that if she injected insulin, it would help her lose weight. Uh, you'll better catch up with that on the podcast a little bit later on. Tomorrow we'll have two clips for In Conversation. And uh, one of them will be Sir Roger Moore. And it, it's, be, it's very interesting because he's going to be with us for this weekend for In Conversation. Sunday morning between five and six. And, uh, and then uh, between nine and ten on the Sunday evening. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your company. If you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, there's a free app that you can download, which will mean that the free podcast then sends itself automatically to you. Once we've uh, posted it, as they say, or published it, then it goes to your phone immediately. Um, and if you subscribe to the LBC podcasting, then you can download every programme on the station. Everything from this programme to, uh, to Duncan Barks, to Nick Abbott, everything. It's all available, and you get to keep it forever and a day, which is good news. But the idea is, download as much as you can. That's my advice, because as we add stuff every day, stuff falls off the other end. So you've got to download as quickly as possible. I only say that. It doesn't, doesn't actually make any difference to me, uh, but it makes a difference to you, because you don't want to lose programmes. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning. Have a good day. I'm talking to Michael Palin later on. That'll be for a future In Conversation. Uh, at seven o'clock, it's Nick Ferrari with breakfast. Next, though, the morning news with Lisa Aziz.